Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. If you're strong, be a protector. And if you're smart, be a humble influencer. Strength and intelligence can be weapons and do not wield them against the weak. You have a soul. Be careful with it. Doesn't matter what it is, earn it. Learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. And finally, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be, but there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. The last thing before we go tonight, the death today of Charles Krauthammer. Those who did not encounter him in print in the pages of the Washington Post, the New Republic, or Time Magazine, or in his many books over the years, perhaps knew him as a longtime contributor and commentator across the street from us at Fox News. He was born in New York to Jewish refugees from Europe. His family settled in Canada, and somewhere between finishing first in his class at McGill then studying at Oxford, then on to Harvard Medical School, somewhere in there it became clear he was a young man with a giant intellect. His life as a young athlete and scholar was dealt a giant challenge when a diving accident left him paralyzed. He adjusted his future plans, hoping, as he said back at the time, to muddle through life. Well, he finished med school at Harvard. He practiced psychiatry before discovering he had a gift for the written word. He wrote with strength and clarity, always clarity. His work for the Washington Post was honored with a Pulitzer Prize back in 1987. While he may have started out on the left-hand side as a young man, he later railed for years against what he saw as the liberal monopoly of the news media. He wrote in muscular style about a muscular United States. On policy matters and the spectrum between conservative and neocon, he was a strident anti-communist, a zealous and steadfast defender of Israel, and famously one of the drum majors in the drum beat toward war in Iraq after 9-11. A task he predicted at the time would take three weeks. And, of course, at the time of his death, 15 years later, 4,000 American lives later, we remain in Iraq. His friends say he will be remembered as warm as he was stoic, as interesting one-on-one -on -one as he was interested in the lives of everyone he met. In the end, he was taken down by intestinal cancer. And in a public farewell letter just a few weeks back, he was true to form, keeping with style, both forward and forthright about his approaching death. Charles Krauthammer was 68 years old. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 23rd of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And I wanted to start on a positive, so I had Chris Pratt there talking about God at the you know, video awards and of course, it didn't go over with the resistance because they're just like, as we'll do in our main section today, the handsmaid's tale. 
you know, I watched all the first season in 10 episodes, and I gotta say, I don't see Trump's America. I see Prague America in there. It, we live in Gilead where you can only say certain words. And if you don't do this, you are ostracized and you lose your job and yada, yada. And then a sad soundbite that I expected. The death of Charles Krauthammer brought out the ugly, as you heard there. And WAPO, who did the first obituary, obituary, Moments after Charles Krauthammer passes away, Washington Post viciously attacks him in obituary. Charles Krauthammer, Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize-winning Washington Post columnist and intellectual provocateur who championed the muscular foreign policy of neoconservatives that helped lay the ideological groundwork for the 2003 U.S.-led invasion of Iraq. Oh, and he died. So they kicked him after he died. Huh. That's great. And then we have the border, which will be most of our podcast today, will be the border. There is so much ugly, fake bullshit. It's going to be very long, a lot of sound bites, but it has to be heard. And you're going to hear 15 minutes of Angel Family speaking. You won't hear Trump, because yeah, Trump politicized it. But, but I really can't bash him with what Obama politicized. I mean, for fuck's sake, he sang Amazing Grace at a funeral. They turned it into a ringtone, and a bunch of people had just been killed by a KKK member. So uh, I guess he flipped that to be about him like they always did. So Trump's just doing the same thing. But these stories don't get out. We have no media on this, as you'll see. It is horrible what is going down in our media. There is so much fake shit and lying, they don't even care anymore. So it must be heard. Also, things like this should be heard. Almost a thousand people injured, killed, and terrorist attacked by refugees. That's just for Germany. That's how many people have died in Germany since they opened the fucking border. What are we doing in America? American Airlines, United, and Fly Frontier don't want DHS on their planes anymore. They've asked not to, they're not going to, they don't want them using it. We don't want to be part of this. We're going to break down and, and bend to what Twitter's telling them. But as we'll also see, the American people have seen through this. I, You know, every time I think I'm losing faith in the media... The American people come out and show me. Us normals, we're not stupid. The polls show. It's not Trump's fault, folks. Gay Republican, who is under some rudeness by people who found out he's gay. I don't understand that. Once again, we covered that last podcast. His name's Gay Republican. I'm assuming he's gay. I mean, what's the problem with it? But whatever. I like his tweet. I just want to know why other countries are allowed to secure their borders, but America isn't. I have never seen such political forces at work as I do with immigration. Democrats will sacrifice their entire political party and their country to get illegals in America. And he's right. This is just a voter scheme. They just want voters. And they don't care that they're siding on the wrong side of this. And in this particular case, they look ridiculous. Obama had 70,000 kids. They're doing all this for 12, yet they were in control. And just ignored it. And then Derek Hunter, 
A headline for the Washington Post from May 7th. Weird how this wasn't an outrage until the day the IG report came out. And wasn't the media obsessed until the hearing this week? Almost like it's being used as a distraction. And I didn't think of it that way, but he's dead on. Um, the IG report is not being reported on. We'll do some today. So let's fire for effect. I gotta prep you, cause this sound bites, it's gonna be hard to listen to. It's Maddo fake crime, Gillibrand and Cummings going all political on this. Cummings twice. Gail King grilling Americans who don't think like her. I was growing up in rural Alabama, the son of a sharecropper, I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. But I was inspired by Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. And I got in the way, I got in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. And I said to all of the young people, to all of the children, we are getting in good trouble to set people free. We can do it if we fail to do it. History will not be kind to This is going on too long. And it must stop. And it must stop now. Not tomorrow, but now. Now is the time to do what is right, what is fair, and what is just. Please tell me, whatever you want me to do, I will go to the borders. I get arrested again. You know, if necessary, prepare to go to jail. Thank you, brother. The AP has just broken some new news. Um, this has just come out from the Associated Press. This is incredible. Trump administration officials have been sending baby and other young children. <laughs> to at least three. Oh. Can we put up the graphic of this. Thank you. Do we have it? No. Three tender age shelters in South Texas. Lawyers and medical providers. Just, I think I'm going to have to hand this off. Yeah. Sorry. That does it for us tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow. Now it is time for the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell, where he is live in Browns, Texas. Thank you very much, Rachel. We a nursing mother had her daughter, her infant daughter, taken out of her hands at a detention center not to be returned. We've had border agents tell families that we're just taking your kids for a bath, never to see them again. What's happening in our nation's border is outrageous, and we all have to speak out against it. Administration, the Trump administration is now creating tent cities, but let's call them what they really are, our imprisonment camps for children. This administration has slammed the door on refugees coming into this country, regardless of whether they're fleeing from violence, whether they're fleeing from domestic violence, whether they're fleeing from poverty and hunger, 
They just don't care. I, along with many of my colleagues, are supporting legislation, Keep Families Together Act, to make sure that this cannot happen anymore, to make sure that parents will not be separated from their children at the border. This is not who we are. This is not what America stands for. We will. Seventy members of the Congress of the United States of America in 2018 and have a hearing that just repeats the hearings the Senate had yesterday on Hillary Clinton's emails. We sent letter after letter after letter asking these committees to investigate the Trump administration's policy, which is now resulting in child internment camps. That's what I said, child internment camps. But we have gotten no response. Even if you believe people entered our country illegally, even if you believe have no valid asylum claims in their own country, even if you believe immigration should be halted entirely, we all should be able to agree that in the United States of America, we will not intentionally separate children from their parents. We will not do that. We are better than that. We are so much better. We should be able to agree that we will not keep kids in child internment camps indefinitely and hidden away from public view. What country is that? This is the United States of America. We now have reports that parents are being deported. But the Trump administration is keeping their children here. 2018 in America. We do not need legislation. This is a policy, and understand this. This was a policy invented, implemented, and executed by President Donald Trump. And so, in conclusion, Mr. Chairman, we need you. Those children need you. And I'm talking directly to my Republican colleagues. We need you to stand up to President Trump. We need you to join us in telling him that we reject this mean policy. We need you to tell him to abandon this policy. We need you to remind him that this is the United States of America, and it is a great country. And we need you to stand up for those children. And with that, we wanted to hear how people living along the southern border view the crackdown on illegal immigration. We spoke with one man who told us his name was Frank here in McAllen. He told us that he left Mexico when he was seven. He came here on a visa and became a U.S. citizen at 18. Frank is now 49, has children, and is in the construction business. You know, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but we can't just open up the borders. A lot of times uh, we lose our jobs because a lot of these people come in and they're willing to do the job for a portion of the pain, and so we're left out. Mm -hmm. This is bigger, though, than opening up the borders. This is about children being separated from their parents. What do you say about that? I don't agree with that. You don't agree with that, but... But 
my opinion is we can't just open up the borders. What's the solution? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Work As an immigrant their, yourself. Well, work with their governments, with their, with their countries, where they're from, and try and get them to some jobs out there. But you came here. Yes. Seeking a better life. Yes. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction as an immigrant yes. yourself? Yes, it is. It does. Now that I'm here, I can see the, uh, the point of view of the people that live here. And most of the people coming here are not, they are law-abiding citizens. Would most you agree with are. that? Yes, yeah. most of them are. But not all of them. It's dreadful. Let me ask you this. Um, uh, the, there are 49 co-sponsors now, the entirety of the Democratic caucus, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. That's right. Um, no Republicans on it so far. What are they saying when you approach them? Well, they're looking at it. We have three or four who are taking a look at it, and I hope they would. Um, I mean, I'm open to change it. Uh, it's, it's pretty benign. It's very simple. It just uh, prohibits uh, the taking of a child except for certain specific circumstances, which are laid out in the legislation. Um, I want to play you what Susan Collins said about why she's not sponsoring the legislation. She's obviously a person I think people would anticipate would be a possible get for. Uh, I want you to listen and, and, and give your response to her reasons. Take a listen. Her legislation is not the answer. It's far too broad. It would essentially prevent arrests within 100 miles of the border, even if the person has committed a serious crime or is suspected of terrorist activity. So that is not the answer. What I've done is worked with a bipartisan group of senators. I think we should try again. We should not give up. It is important that we enact immigration reform. Is that true? I'm sorry, is what true? Uh, that it would now arrest within 100 miles of the border, even for serious problem. If that bothers Susan, we'll take it out. That's a hot mess. Educating liberal. Fun fact, the DHS has approximately 12,000 undocumented kids in their shelters. 10,000 of them came across unaccompanied, meaning they had no parents to be separated from. The Democrats' sudden outrage over this 22-year-old law is completely manufactured. Cambria Kenosha Koa. When Kristen Gillibrand, Kristen Nielsen, sorry, Chris Jen Nielsen, said 10,000 to 12,000 were held without their parents, the media's jaws dropped. But they didn't matter. They, they, it just doesn't matter. Once again, I wrote a screed to one of the talking heads. It was an article. And this is what I wrote. The problem with this article is the same problem with the faux outrage. No one cared when Clinton passed this and Obama implemented this policy. No one cares that only illegals enter entry is where this is applied. No one cares that major picture of kids is cages is staged anti-immigration policy. Open border organization photo being passed off as real. No one cares that there was no baby ripped from its breastfeeding mother. No one cares that the photo starred this 2014 were due to Obama, due to his vote-pandering policy for dreamers. No one cares that the pictures now don't show squalor. No one cares that the majority of kids are not with their parents, are being used as shield as a concerted effort for a Twitter hysteria and open borders. No one cares that when the immigration bills are brought up, both parties stomp at success. Lefties with the help of the media that show fake pictures and false rhetoric to make it so, 
And this author doesn't care that when people came from the Holocaust, immigrated period, they came through port of entry and did it legally. None of this matters, for this isn't about kids nor families. It's about a president they hate and the midterms upon us. So let's scare up some votes for the blue team. Intellectual honesty died in our media, 11-9-16. Facts will not return till a Dem gets in the White House, and then we will ignore this, or if pointed out, be called un-American. And it's true. I've altered this concept to 11-9-2008. Once Obama got elected, our media died. They ignored things for eight years. And now they just go with whatever, and they don't even care, as we'll see. The New Yorker actually fact-checks the picture with the veteran that was called a Nazi to see if it was true. New York Magazine, more than 11,000 children are currently in detention. Here's everything you need to know about the shelters in which they're being housed. Your friend Helen, literally the only thing I need to know is that more than 11,000 children are currently in detention. They could be frolicking in ice cream in gilded halls of Versailles, and it would still be incomprehensible. Abomination. Question, what would you do to protect your children? Question, if you said anything it takes, imagine your child being seized in a country they don't speak the language. Dara Lind, I hate to actually, you, actually call you out, but most of those 11 kids were not separated. Other people, John Cardillo, once again, Quoting the facts. Because the illegal entry is the biggest problem with this. Once again, the media doesn't want to tell the truth. They want the faux outrage. They want to stir up their team blue votes in the midterms. Schumer's on the record as saying, we want to keep this on Trump for the midterms. Pelosi is. They report it and they help and assist. But it's illegal entry. If they go to port entry and claim asylum, nothing happens. Nothing. But this is no different than 2014 when Obama pulled the card to try to get elected because he was all worried he wasn't going to make it because America is so fucking racist, there's no way it's twice going to vote for a black guy. That's their thinking. They pulled the DACA. We had 80, 70 to 80,000 kids in concentration camps, as we'll see. But back then they weren't covered on, or called, concentration camps. And nobody went down to look at them. And those that did, posted shit, and everybody ignored it. So. Ari Fleischer gets NPR. His headline is missing the word illegal. They, they don't use illegal anymore. Then there was a Down Syndrome shit. It, tur- it turns out the story about the 10-year-old with Down Syndrome that caused all the Twitter to attack Corey Lewinowski for responding with a womp womp when he heard the story was apparently rescued by ICE agents from some sort of smuggling operation. So that kid was rescued, which is why this rule's in place, to vet if these people are really their parents, vet if this is child sex trafficking. That's why the law was put in place. You liberals wanted it. Your president did it. His name was Clinton. Caitlin Collins, U.S. Custom and Border Protection, say its statement that the minor who had Down syndrome and was separated from her parents isn't related to the zero tolerance policy. Sean Davis, media steps on a ranking again. They don't care. It is making people go crazy. 
So here's Hillary and the DHS head being mobbed. We have to send a clear message. Just because your child gets across the border, that doesn't mean the child gets to stay. Should they be sent back? They, well, first of all, we have to provide the best emergency care we can provide. We have children five and six years old who have come up from Central America. We need to do more to provide border security in so southern Mexico. They should be sent back now. Well, they should be sent back as soon as it can be determined who responsible adults and their families are, because there are concerns about whether all of them can be sent back. But I think all of them who can be should be reunited with their families. Yesterday morning, mobs will do worse as Democrat talking heads and officials unleash the mob and their her house is being mobbed. So who are these people? Activists who protested Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Jet Nielsen, as she dined Tuesday at a Mexican restaurant, say others involved in enforcing tough immigration policies should take notice of the incident, though dinner disruptions won't necessarily be a recurring form of activism. The unconventional demonstration inside downtown DC, MXDC, Cochina, Mexicana, featured about 10 minutes of chance, including Kristen Nielsen, you're a villain, lock up immigrant children, after a tip from a fellow restaurant diner. In less than 45 minutes, activists from the local chapter of Democratic Socialists of America. Let's put that together. Socialists. Headed by... Allison Harabar. Who is Allison Harabar? She works for DOJ. The Department of Justice led that mob. 
Surprisingly, nothing would happen. Under Obama, she'd be frog-marched out and tarred in feather. So how did the talking heads handle it? Anna Navarro, are there no Norwegian restaurants in Washington, D.C.? Byron York, appears no authorities intervened to stop, abolish ICE Antifa harassing DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen at D.C. restaurant last night. Meanwhile, CNN's Anna Navarro suggests Nielsen, a Florida native, should stick to her own ethnicity in choosing restaurants. So you can be racist towards white people again, because that's what they are. By her reply, Byron York seemed you missed the reference to Trump lamenting we didn't get more immigrants from Norway instead of shit old countries. I don't know Nielsen said this, nor does it matter. What matters is her complicity in this atrocity. You go, you got something against Lutefisk? Oh, I'm okay. I can do whatever I want. Then ABC went back to her high school. There'll be numerous of these this, this week. Stephen Miller, they went back to third grade to bash him. And they reported alumni of the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen's Tampa High School condemns her in open letter to school headmaster. It was one person condemned him. But that's okay. So to show once again conservative women get treated like shit, Nancy Pelosi, she must resign. This is not an immigration issue. It is a humanitarian issue. She's a piece of shit. Guy Benson, top Senate Dems, preemptively come out against all GOP proposals on family separation issue. Schumer said they want to keep the focus on Trump. Rejecting compromise solution looks cynical in humanitarian crisis. Is this about the kids or Trump? Abby, sigh. What is inhumane is adults dragging children from Central America and Mexico or sending them with traffickers because they think children get in free card. So why don't you and Chuck Get to work on legislations. Hmm. The political side of this is so ugly. We can even go with Flake and McCain who are now, let the children go. Flashback 2014, Senate Senator McCain and Flake criticized Eric Holder for an ending prosecution on the border. But now they're for open border. Let them all in. We hate Trump. Let him in. Steve Smith, who's never been a Republican, but was part of McCain's. The moment he started with MSNBC, he chopped his fucking junk off and became a liberal dude. And he left the Republican Party. All the talking heads loved his tweets. I'm not reading them. Anybody who's a normal like us go, you weren't a Republican. You haven't been a Republican since you were on MSDNC. After Hillary did a little talking, as we heard, oh, I'll be Jew Echoche, which I love her name. I was waiting for this to happen, and it did. Pro-abortion Hillary picks up her Bible, removes the cobwebs from the edges of the Holy Book, dusts it off, and selects one verse she wants to weaponize. Then she drops it and goes off to a cocktail party at Planned Parenthood. Those who selectively use the Bible to justify this cruelty are ignoring a central tenet of Christianity. Jesus said, suffer the little children unto me. He did not say, kill them in the womb. Yeah. So by midweek, the Dems are blocking everything. The Hills, everybody's reporting it. It's all good. They're rejecting any proposal. 
David French. So does this mean the Dems would filibuster a family separation fix? That's true. Kissed Kristen Gillibrand, every Democratic senator, is co-sponsoring the Keep Families Together Act, but no one, not one Republican signed on. They won't do it. And we'll find out in just two seconds why they won't do it. Five U.S. states refuse to deploy National Guard. That was uh, all Democrat. Colorado, New York, Virginia, Maryland, and Massachusetts. And then Gabriel Maller brings us why they won't sign on any legislation other than their own. I was gobsmacked when I actually dug into the Democrats' bill to address family separation. Their bill actually prohibits separating any child, including U.S. citizens, from a parent almost anywhere in the U.S. by the officers of DHS, DOJ, or HHS. Which brings us to an article. All parents who commit federal crimes get off scot-free. Every Senate Democrat has now signed on to co-sponsor a bill written so carelessly that it does not distinguish between migrant children in the border and U.S. children. The bill further does not distinguish between federal officers handling the border crisis and federal law enforcement pursuing ordinary course of duty. Let's break that down. Senator Dianne Feinstein proposed Keep Family Together Act to see where Democrats went wrong. The bill provides an agent or officer of designated agency shall be prohibited from removing a child from his or her parent or legal guardian at or near the port of entry or within 100 miles of the border of the United States, with three exceptions to be discussed later. Four immediate warning signs of provision would put the reader on notice that the bill is not what Democrats claim. First designated agency, here is defined as the entirety of the Federal Department of Homeland Security, Justice, Health and Human Services. The scope of the bill is not limited to those portions of these departments involved with the border crisis, and there is no other limiting factor in the bill that would cabin the prohibition on family separation to immigrant-related matters. In other words, this bill is going to regulate conduct across a great many federal offices that have nothing to do with separating children from their family. Second, agent or officer is not defined by the legislation, except to say it includes contractors. Federal law, however, already defines officer to include, with exception, not relevant here, every federal employee appointed to the civil service by the head of the the executive agency. 200 million people live within 100 million, 100 miles of the border. That's roughly two-thirds of the U.S. population. Even more live near ports of entry, including the places far from the border crisis. Salt Lake City, 700 miles. Tulsa, Nashville, all have port, ports of entry. Every airport is a fucking point of entry. I'm not going to read the whole article. It basically breaks down. They want nothing to happen because they want everybody to come in because they think they're going to vote for them. So Trump starts going into the, I'm going to fix this. Uh, They're not going to get anything passed. Democrats are stonewalling. It's good they're stonewalling. We support that. No punishment for not trying to fix the family with legislation and change the law. But when he starts talking, this is automatically Dick Durbin. Make no mistake, the president is doubling down on zero tolerance policies, new executive order, criminalizes asylum seekers, and seeks to identify and detain their children. Durbin splitting, spitting over Trump executive order, his new executive order decriminalizes asylum seekers and seeks to identify blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the problem. 
as Britain points out. People who cross the border illegally, whether for asylum or any other purpose, require no criminalization. They've already committed a crime. Trump's order today does not nothing to change that. Trump is simply refusing to go back to the old practice of catch and release. They don't see the difference between what asylum is and illegal entry into the country. Because they don't think there is such thing as illegal entry. And it's getting dangerous. The media and Democrat is getting dangerous. They're pushing the limits as defined by this soundbite. Some have argued that these detention centers are reminiscent of Japanese internment camps or even concentration camps in Nazi Germany. A comparison Sessions rejects. Well, it's a real exaggeration. Sessions also trying to downplay comparisons to World War II concentration camps. You've got Jeff Sessions out there saying, well... It's not exact. It's not as bad as Nazi Germany because there they were keeping them in. Uh, it's always bad when you're having to, you know, distance you yourself from Nazi down Germany. The Nazi route. Okay, that's but, rule number one. But okay. um, as an emotional matter, mm-hmm. it seems like the president's critics are winning. They're winning. This oh one. no, he will be forever remember, remembered as the president who traumatized little children. That's his brand now. <clears throat> He's the president who purposefully traumatized babies and children, and he traumatized them for his political gain, or to look strong, or to look like Kim Jong-un. What has to happen now, this can no longer be about who Trump is. It has to be about who we are. If we are working towards November, we can no longer say Trump's the bad guy. If you vote for Trump, you're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. If you vote for Trump, you are ripping children from parents on you. The mistake that we've made in the past is look at that bad guy over there, look at that bad guy. What the Democrats have to do is make the next election a referendum on not who Trump is, but who you are. And we all, that, that's the big difference. You can no longer now as a voter, because it's now not about taxes, it's, it's not even about some abstract term of immigration or, or nationalism. If you vote for Trump, then you, the voter, you not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald Trump. But if you vote, you can no longer separate yourself. You can't say, well, he's okay, but. And I think that gymnastics and I think that jujitsu has to happen. He's been openly racist, just like we said back in December of 2015, openly racist. And if you support him, then... Uh, you're supporting that, and you are that. It's that simple. Everybody's a fucking Nazi now. So what's happening with all this? Why am I saying it's getting dangerous? Well, you already see the Socialist Republic of Democrats attacking the DHS head. Then you have this. This tweet actually from Monday, but it came to mind after we saw Occupy Wall Street cartoon about stabbing ICE agents and ripping out their still-beating hearts. That was done by Occupy Wall Street early in the week. Ariel Schwerfer. Members of ICE should be out at an ostracide, harassed at restaurants, malls, when they pick their kids up from school, etc. Should not be able to be part of the machine separating children from their family and clock out for a peaceful evening. Make them fear for their safety like they do others. Then they, then they posted a picture of shooting a cop, which was removed. 
Reminder that if you support ICE, you literally would have been a Nazi. I was just doing my job, did not hold up in Nuremberg, all this shit. And then my favorite, I have been thinking the same thing. You know how troops returning from Vietnam were jeered and spat on? We should make that look like a picnic. Anyone who works for ICE is complicit in this criminal enterprise. The last one is scary. We need to post their photos and home addresses. In a second, it happens. But before that happened, Democrat volunteer threatens to kill Republican representatives' kids over zero tolerance. Florida law enforcement officials arrested a man on Thursday who allegedly called the office of Representative Brian Mass and threatened to kill his kids over the media's recent hysteria of child separation immigration policy. Lawrence Key, who's accused of calling Mass office 478 times, Allegedly told an intern, I'm going to find the Congress with kids and kill them. If you're going to separate kids at the border, I'm going to kill your kids. Don't try to find me because you won't. Yeah. Key's social media pages show he's very politically active. He volunteers regularly for the Democratic Party of Martin County and has volunteered many hours for Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Then Antifa does it. Spreads lists of ICE agents compiled using LinkedIn and blasted over Twitter. Antifa, a violent so-called anti-fascist group, tweeted out a list of 15 other immigration and customs enforcement agents' identities. Twitter account Nebraska Antifa sent out a tweet to its followers on Tuesday that linked to personal information of ICE officers. Some enterprising hero archived the ICE employees listed on LinkedIn. Who was he? Anti-cop activist doxing ICE agents, a professor at NYU. Sam Levine is a self-described artist and educator whose work deals with data, surveillance, cops, natural language, processing, and automation, and a motherfucker. <clears throat> yeah. For a little break, here's just some ugly stuff that came out during all this to kind of once again justify this is why people are losing it. Bethany Flip, California 50 Blue, I asked my five-year-old if she wanted to come to protest with me this weekend. Once I had to explain what we were protesting, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, well, what if they take me away too? I don't know how to have these conversations. There's a motherfucker that put his own kid in a fucking cage, took a photo to protest what's happening at the border now. And once again, didn't care when Obama had... 80,000 kids in cages. Nobody cared. Jonathan Alter. Trump's reversal is an important sign that resistance and public pressure works, but the steel cage detention centers, which should now and forever be called Trump Hotels, so they're just pinning it to Trump. Lord Lena Dunham. I know this is basic knowledge at this point, but my mind simply can't comprehend that the same people who claim to care so much about embryos care so little about living children. These are the people that want unfettered, till it's born, abortion. Actually, pulling that out. No sense of self. Progressive dad. Oh, I can't read that one. That was the one that literally put his kid in a cage. Chelsea Handler. Could someone please DM who knows of an organized movement to revolt against the latest Trump abomination of the border? We need to stop everything and march until this Trump policy ends. We're going to end up like Germany. 
Anna Navarro. I know immigrants don't all think alike. We are not a homogenous blob, but for the life of me, I don't get how any Latino or any immigrant or child of an immigrant can possibly work for Trump and still live with their conscience. Alex Elaine, among others, I'm talking to you. It would be great if you stopped conflating illegal migrants with legal immigrants. All the people you named were and or legal immigrants. Leave Anna alone. She's just securing her CNN gig. Katie Pavlich, Soledad O'Brien, covered it last podcast. Welp, I guess we put this to rest. Nazi Germany could happen here in America. Her reply, this is complete bullshit. Ben Shapiro, yes, Nazi Germany was famous for his tolerance of people decrying governmental policy. She then tweeted, what has been surprising to me, I will confess, is the comfortability some people have with cruelty to children on a policy level. It's like summer camp, just like daycare. Jennifer Rubin, if only we could keep the hardworking Latin American newcomers and deport the contemptible Republicans. This once again proves what we, we talk about all the time. All the time. They would rather have illegal immigrants that they don't know anything about and get rid of the opposition. Because it's not about the kids. Once again, it's it's about politics. Mika Brzezinski had a total, complete, total, complete meltdown. Joe Scarborough does, and we'll cover it in our hypocrisy. Every major media player is loose with the facts. Ignorant of what the policy really is. So let's break down what last administration and other administrations really thought. This is the first time on this podcast I'm going to play a soundbite that Donald Trump tweeted. I know you resistance people are going to fall apart. But nothing in here is false. This is what your party thought about illegal immigration. Do at this time of year. But here's a question for Democrats, because you hear the president now, you know, a lot on a lot of topics, and this one inc- inc- included, you know, looking at previous administrations, uh, well, they, they should have done more, right? And so as so many people in this country are certainly outraged by the cages and the thermal blankets and the facilities housing these kids, you know, they were all there in 2014 under President Obama. And my question to you, Senator Baldwin, is did you speak up against them then? You know, on on this issue that we get into a moment where we're making progress and then when it it stalls, uh, we turn around. I think we all need to continue to be focused on it and press it through. The American people need confidence that we can solve problems. Nobody believes that we have uh, an immigration system that works. It is broken, it's fixing, but we've just got to resolve to do that. But were you worried about it then? Did you raise your voice under the Obama administration? You know, in numbers of cases, especially uh, I remember a constituent who was in detention at the border, uh, arguably uh, very inappropriately, um, and we uh, you know, we raised our voice in that instance and many others. Uh, we've got to do this now in unison. It's not enough to do it case by case or senator or house member by house member. We've got- Our immigration system is broken. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers 
of illegal aliens entering country. The people who should be here are those who come legally. We have to send a clear message. Just because your child gets across the border, that doesn't mean that... Yeah. We, we had no problem with this. So, let's break it down. CNN, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, what's going on in the United States is wrong. I can't imagine what the families lived through. This are enduring. Obviously, this is not the way we do things in Canada. CBC, CBC News, this is Columbia, Canada. Canada also detains migrant children, sometimes for months. Yeah. So I guess Trudeau's a racist too. But we're not going to do that. 2014 Department of Homeland Security, Jabe Johnson, argued that family detention, which activists described as time as cruel and humane, an effective deterrent against illegal immigration. That was in the New York Times. Their headline, Detention Center, presented it as deterrent to border crossings. Hmm. Greg Paulowitz simply cannot have a situation where if you cross the border and are apprehended, you can count on being escorted to the nearest bus station. Jeb Johnson. Homeland Security Johnson on undocumented immigrants. We will send you back. Those who cross the border today illegally, even children, are not eligible for earned paths of citizenship. In this article, wow, read this 2014 story of Obama officials blaming Bush's 2008 trafficking border protection law for the border crisis. They blamed him. Then Twitchy tossed this one out. Impeach. Washington Post discovered more evidence of presidents using detained kids as punishment. Mexican kids held for months as punishment for border crossing. Read the article. 2015. 2015. Now let's fast forward to 2018, April, when the Washington Post reported on 100,000 or so unaccompanied minors of families that were released by the evil Trump administration. Then this one, the Obama White House kept children together with parents in widespread deplorable conditions and cited holding a woman and children as a deterrent. Jeremy Byer, this AP story quotes the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, the organization published Betraying Family Values, How Immigration Policy in the United States Border is Separating Families. When was it? 2017. ACLU. Toddlers are being detained. Toddlers. This is why we filed a class action suit. This is why we won't stop fighting until families are together. The people they were talking about? We're detained under Obama. They didn't say that, though. Gerald Byer again. Here's a terrible story about an asylum-seeking family split up by the border during the Obamas. And then this story broke this week, which is perfect for our media. Press found unaccompanied children released to traffickers in 2016. Did no White House follow-up. Following a deceptive headline implying nothing bad had yet happened, harm should have been replaced in peril. Burke's first five paragraph introduced many awful specifics to come. Burke identified instances of forced labor, abuses, and starvation and spoke with professionals who cited cases in which unaccompanied children were raped. Abby Van Sickle did a 2,500 word for the Washington Post. It was similar overall finding. 
accompanied by details about child exploitation at an Ohio egg farm with little basis. The article's headline treated the problem as entirely in the past. The late January report by the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation observed that HHS hadn't taken its duty seriously until just days earlier. Effective January 25th, 2016, HHS has strengthened its background check policies. If the problem of nature had been discovered in 2017 or 2018, the press would certainly have properly been applying pressure on the Trump administration. But Darlene Superville, Kathleen Hennessy, Josh Lederman, and Kevin Frecking never asked a question of the White House. None. They buried it. There was no Twitter screeds. None. Then this one broke. Four horrifying immigration stories that happened under Obama kept more than double the number of children in a detention center than Trump's White House. Ten thousand eight hundred fifty-two undocumented children in its custody—a significant jump from the eight hundred eight thousand eight hundred eighty-six that were in the agency custody on April twenty-ninth, according to the Washington Post. In fiscal year twenty thirteen, under Obama administration, there was many as twenty-five thousand unaccompanied children in eighty shelters. Three, the Obama administration not only let admitted MS thirteen gang members into the U.S. Two, the Obama administration held Mexican kids for months as punishment for border crossings. We covered that. Number one, the Obama administration placed immigrant children with human traffickers. Another story, 2014, family of immigrants detained, detainees sue Obama. Gerald Byer, these remarks, Nancy Pelosi after visiting a center, she Talks about all the horrible shit. No, she doesn't. It's 2014. What we just saw was so stunning, if you believe as we do, that every child, every person has a spark of divinity in them and is therefore worthy of his respect. What we saw in those rooms were dazzling. A spark around God's children, worthy of respect. So we have to use, as we said this morning, a crisis that some view as a crisis, and it does have crisis qualities, as an opportunity to show who we are as Americans, that we do respect people for their dignity and their worth, that we know how to get the job done that relates to, again, stopping trafficking. We have the law that established the Department of Homeland Security. We have the floors decision. So the balance that we're trying to create is to move these kids, these young people, these families, as quickly as possibly into another setting. We have to do it in the best way that meets certain standards and not in a rush, not not do the best we can for them. Perhaps the most tragic image I will take home with me, and I wish I could take him too, with a little boy who was infected with a virus and then in isolation all by himself. That's for safety and the safety of others. Today, she would have said something totally different because she has. Then during the week, this soundbite came out on TV. But I think fundamentally here, Democrats do not actually want to see Donald Trump be successful with immigration reform. And that is simply because mm-hmm. if you have 2 million people that suddenly have a shot at Green citizenship. To multimedia marketplace. Well, well they, they talked about, you know, DACA, two, DACA. I mean, then all of a sudden you have a group that's going to say, well, maybe I'll vote Republican next time. Maybe Donald Trump is exactly what the country needs. Maybe this is my chance of the future. And, and so the Democrats, they're counting 
on all of those people for votes. They don't want to give them away to Donald Trump, so they will not let him be successful. They do not Great fundamentally media. want him the to succeed on immigration because it would change yeah, the landscape of demographics. There are two bills uh, that were, are right. introduced in the House right. by Paul Ryan. Republicans have four pillars, as the president has right. repeatedly stated. He said he will Great sign media. one of them if the it will pass. Are Democrats willing to come to the table and negotiate, considering there's amnesty on the table for DACA recipients in exchange for border security in a merit-based system. Well, that's the problem. Is, is it the wall Freebie. and DACA? I mean, are both going to be side-by-side? Side? Well, so uh, so Channel Tucker for a second. Bring me inside the liberal <laughs> mind here. Is the, is the wall the most hated item that liberals look at today? Well, the wall was something he can't pay it on, and uh, it didn't come to fruition. Well, so it's, it's not just, over yet. It's still, 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 still got multiple still years to get reelected. It's I, I, not over. I, I don't know if anything will pass because it's so wonderful to take advantage of 12 million people working so hard, and we don't have to give them health care, and we don't have to pay them what they but deserve. Would you be okay for a wall? So, so if any, would you be okay with a wall? Multimedia marketplace. Uh, no, I think I think people should have freedoms. I think it should be like uh, Europe. People can travel throughout different oh, countries. So there we go. You brought me inside the liberal mind. You want America to be Europe, and Donald Trump doesn't want America. The president actually said yesterday that he will not turn America into Europe, and they've had so many problems with their open border policies. So thank you for admitting uh, to your open border philosophy. A lot of people will not admit that, so we appreciate your honesty. On, on that note, during this all, nobody would say it except for that person, because that's what it's about, open borders. It's all about open borders. Linda Sassar, ACLU, they're all gnashing teeth. Some of them gnashing teeth about these articles about the past. Never once saying anything else. The networks dedicate 258 minutes to separate kids' coverage. 258 minutes. We had nothing. Nothing during Obama. Nothing. And then Trump comes up with a solution. And here's your media's reply. The president's zero-tolerance immigration policy announced in May mandated universal prosecution of adults who enter the country illegally. Under long-standing law, children cannot remain with adults being detained on criminal charges. In the face of bipartisan blowback, administration officials said for days their hands were tied. All right, so Major, at this point, what, what does happen next here? Well, there are two paths. One is legislative and one is judicial. The administration will challenge a long-standing consent decree that dates back to 1997. But if it had the ability to do that, one would think it would have already tried. That consent decree is likely to survive, and there's already legal challenges to today's executive order. The legislative fix relies on House Republicans to pass a bill this week and see if it can pass and get to bipartisan support in the Senate. Jeff, to put it mildly, both the legislative and judicial paths face uncertain futures. Yeah. No, not good enough. Not good enough. But for a brief pause, more important stuff for Gio Acosta. Spokesman confirms Mrs. Trump wore a jacket to visit border kids. It reads, I really don't care to you. Spokesman says it's a jacket. There was no hidden message after today's important visit to Texas. Hope the media isn't going to choose to focus on her wardrobe. They did. Everybody lost it over a jacket that she wore on the plane and didn't wear off the plane. They say it was towards the media, who she's been the focus of, where's Waldo? Mm. Judd Legum shows what this is all about. Let's be clear, Trump's solution to the problem of treating children inhumanely by separating them from parents to, is to break the law and remove legal protections for children. No, he's enforcing the law, you're an idiot. Chris Hayes, 
As far as I can tell, whatever the president signs today will not end in so-called zero tolerance. It will likely lead to indefinite detention of children with their parents in a violation of federal consent decree. That's a lie. Um, Rick Riccardi, New York Times reports that rather than separating children from parents, Trump administration were all children indefinitely with their parents, violating a court settlement, inevitably triggering a legal challenge. That's not true. It's the fucking law. Joy Reid, Trump said to be backing down. And dogs them for backing down. Chad Pegram, Schumer on Trump executive order. I also hope this represents a turning point that the president will stop blaming others for problems that he created. No, that's not true. Camilla Harris, executive order, doesn't fix the crisis. Definitely detaining children with their families in the camps is inhumane. Yeah. More in our bias section, because there is... Lies, deceit, but it didn't matter. He fixed it. It wasn't good enough. They lied and said it's his problem. They ignore that Obama did it. They ignore that Clinton signed the law. They just don't care. So let's do a brief section on our IG report. And as we go to that, here comes Camerata getting crushed for lying about immigration. And then you'll hear Trey Gowdy going off. NBC, CBS, ignore FBI grilling on the hill for the damn filibustering the border bullshit. But have you been in the past in the past week as children are being separated from parents? Have you been there this round? I have not. No, but children have been separated from their parents for years. No, uh, no, the, yes, this is a new absolutely. policy. This is a new zero tolerance policy where they must be separated. It is a new policy for some people, but children have been separated from their parents under previous administrations and in this administration prior, but now with the zero tolerance policy, if you are apprehended across the border, you're automatically going to be placed in prosecution. During the Obama administration, there were plenty of children. Those are unaccompanied thousands minors. And thousands Those of are children unaccompanied minors. Were... These are separated from their parents intentionally well, as a deterrent, as we've heard from the administration. This is different, Congressman. There, 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 it was true in both instances, and the Obama administration did it until a court Those said that they couldn't do it. Those were unaccompanied minors. No, there were unaccompanied minors, and there were families with children as well. Can, if the president can end it today, and he can, why not end it today while you hammer out the details of legislation? The president, if he ends it, then he has to allow these families to enter the interior of the United States. Hold them uh, in and detention. They, they gave a court Hold them case, together and in they detention. never return. Hold them together in detention. Uh, he can't do that. The law doesn't permit them to hold them for, for the Department of Justice more than 72 hours. That's a court ruling. And for, uh, for the Department of Homeland Security, 20 days. So that's the, that's the issue that has to be addressed. It has to be addressed legislatively, uh, and we are doing that. As we read this report, we're reminded of Jim Comey's decision to hold a July 5th press conference and appropriate the charging decision away from the prosecutors. We see Jim Comey drafting an exoneration memo before important witnesses, like the target, were even interviewed. Ironically, this inspector general has been accused of softening or watering down his report, when the reality is it was Jim Comey who softened and watered down his press release, announcing no charges against Secretary Clinton. We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding which DOJ policies to follow and which to ignore. We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding whether there is sufficient evidence to support each and every element of an offense. 
We see Jim Comey and Jim Comey alone deciding whether to send a letter to Congress in the throes of a looming election. Now, his justification for this is that he did not have confidence in the objectivity of Attorney General Loretta Lynch, whether it was her asking him to refer to this case as a matter rather than an investigation or her meeting with Bill Clinton while Hillary Clinton was under investigation or the matter he has alluded to but claims he cannot discuss publicly, clearly Jim Comey had lost confidence in the DOJ to handle the case in a way worthy of public trust. But that leads us to the one thing we did not see Jim Comey do, which was take any steps to spur the appointment of special counsel in the Hillary Clinton investigation. When he lost confidence in the Trump Justice Department, he memorialized private conversations, he leaked them, and he admitted he did so to spur the appointment of special counsel because he didn't trust the career prosecutors at the Department of Justice. When he lost confidence in the Obama Justice Department, he didn't make special memos. He didn't share them with his law professor friends. He didn't leak the information. He didn't lift a finger to get special prosecutors. Instead, he appointed himself FBI director, attorney general, special counsel, lead investigator, and the general arbiter of what is good and right in the world, according to him. Now, one of the last times I spoke with Director Comey was in a committee hearing. We had a pointed exchange on what I thought was the FBI making decisions based in part on politics. And he, in his typically sanctimonious way, told me that he disagreed. He said the men and women of the FBI do not, quote, give a hoot about politics. Unfortunately, and I use that word intentionally, unfortunately, he was dead wrong. There were agents and attorneys at the FBI who gave a lot more than a hoot about politics. There's Andy McCabe, the former deputy director and acting director of the FBI, an agency which investigates and charges others for making false statements himself accused of making false statements and showing a lack of candor. I think I recall, perhaps someone can correct me, but I think I recall some of my Democrat colleagues falling over themselves to offer a job to Andy McCabe when he was let go for making false statements and for a lack of candor. But those same colleagues apparently weren't hiring. They didn't have any openings when others in a related investigation called Russia were charged with the same offense. There were FBI agents and attorneys who decided to prejudge the outcome of the Hillary Clinton case before the investigation ended. I want you to let that sink in for a second. They prejudged the outcome of the Hillary Clinton investigation before the investigation ended, and these exact same FBI agents and attorneys prejudged the outcome of the Russia investigation before it even began. If prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it ends and prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it begins is not evidence of outcome-determinative bias for the life of me, I don't know what would be. That is textbook bias. It is quite literally the definition of bias, allowing something other than the facts to determine your decision. These agents were calling her president before she was even interviewed. They were calling for the end of the Trump campaign before the investigation even began. They were calling for impeachment simply because he happened to be elected. That is bias. And with all due respect, it's the FBI's job, not mine, to prove that bias can ever be harmless. Because I don't agree. I think bias is always harmful.
the FBI working overtime to do damage control and contain the fallout from that scathing inspector general's report. The FBI director facing a grilling on Capitol Hill. The FBI director and the Justice Department's inspector general were in the hot seat Monday facing tough questions about that 500-page report, which blasted former FBI director James Comey and senior FBI officials. Horowitz acknowledging the conduct of one agent who was discovered to have exchanged anti-Trump text messages with a colleague could have cast a shadow over the inquiry. We found the implication that senior FBI employees would be willing to take official action to impact a presidential candidate's electoral prospects to be deeply troubling and antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the Justice Department. So this is so little report reporting. There's so much. Okay, there's no reporting on this. Let me try to speak in English. But what I have gotten out Bureau bias, top Republicans say FBI misled DOJ with false information. Top Republican lawmaker raised eyebrows throughout Washington this week, claiming there was growing evidence the FBI edited and changed information submitted to the Inspector General to avoid prosecution. They altered their 302s and changed the language so that none of them would go to jail. So they basically lied. Mark Meadows, there's a growing body of evidence that the FBI made edits and changes to the 302s or summaries of witness interviews in both the Clinton case and the early Russia investigation. This is incredibly troubling, needs to be examined. I appreciate the IG looking into it. Cheryl Atkinson, who's still at the FBI, is responsible for withholding the Congress the Zork text, we are going to stop Trump. That's a good question. How'd the IG get it, but nobody else got it? Andy Trey, FBI agent Peter Zork, was escorted from the FBI building, but guess what? He's not fired. And then um, Ben Shapiro pulled out the banality of bias. He goes through all the texts. The IG report stated that Zork's texts were not only an an indicative of bias state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospects. This is antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Here's the thing. Zork wasn't alone. At least four other FBI agents sent pro-Clinton messages throughout the Clinton investigation. One agent stated that nobody would prosecute Hillary Clinton if we find unique classified material on the former representative Anthony Weiner's laptop. Another texted, Viva La Resistance after the election. And the IG report suddenly slips into its rather shocking revelation. We identify numerous FBI employees at all levels of the organization and with no official reason to be in contact with the media who are nevertheless in frequent contact with the reporters. That contact include employees receiving benefits from reporters, such as outings, blah, 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 blah. This is how bureaucratic agencies lose legitimately. Not with overt acts of evil, but through the echo chamber mentality that exists in every social setting. We all live within cliques. We all deal with group, a select group of people. If that select group of people thinks alike, the group tends to radicalize over time. And if there are no checks in place, if that clique has enormous power, it's easy to see how cases can get botched. This is the problem with unelected, unaccountable, non-transparent bureaucracies. They are subject to ideological perversion that they themselves may not even notice until it's too late. That's why they should be extraordinarily careful of how they wield power. Unfortunately, our law enforcement agencies aren't, and the result is dramatic loss of trust that they can ill afford. 
Natasha Bertrand. In his testimony before the Senate Intel Committee today, Obama cyber chief confirmed that he was ordered to stand down against Russia's cyber attacks in summer 2016. Michael Isakoff, who co-wrote Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin wars in America and the election of Donald Trump with David Korn, reported on <coughs> Yahoo News about it briefly in between his Twitter screeds about immigration. Why isn't the media covering that? So they knew Russia was trying to get in. Obama didn't care because they wanted to use it as a cudgel. And I'm only covering it briefly today because of the immigration crisis. But the more I look like look at it, this is Derek Hunter. He's spot on. They spun this immigration to get off the IG report. And my question is, why aren't we checking in the Wiener laptop again? Because they clearly didn't really check it. And when they did, they just checked the block. Because they already had the results before they even did an investigation. Why didn't they check all the tentacles? And why is Zork still on the payroll? Can anybody tell me? It's fucking unbelievable. So a music break. We're going to play a weird-ass song. It's by Biz and Iraqi Otters, but I heard it on The Looming Tower, which is a great show if you haven't watched it. I got Hulu. That's why our main segment today is The Handmaid Tale. But this song is pretty cool. I hope it's not about terrorism. I can't tell you what the lyrics are about because I can't find it, but it's got a cool sound. So here's my one Arab rap song that I'll ever play on my show, and then we'll go into tweets of the day.
Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. tweets of the day the first one is from brian seltzer who's neither reliable or a source because he is going to be part of our focus in hypocrisy today he tweeted out trust in media the amazing thing between democrats and republicans cnn was the lowest rank between both not the lowest but at the bottom of the list and he was trying to prove that Fox is bad. I think that's what his concept was. But it's pretty fucking horrible. They aren't even trusted by Dems. He surmised the by the great divide how Democrats and Republicans perceive bias of AP, NPR, CNN, Wall Street Journal, Fox, etc. And they pretty much say CNN's it. But our tweet of the day comes from Shannon Watts who tweeted, the NRA used to have a woman doing their social media. A man took over the job a few months ago. Can you tell? And it's a picture of a room that I guess isn't good for her because she's a woman. So the NRA shoots back, hey, Shannon Watts, Amber Nyblock here. I've been working for the NRA for 10 years now, and that was my post. I guess it's hard for you to believe that I'm a woman, a mother, and a 2A advocate. You probably don't know me. Because you blocked me on Twitter. Twitter, But keep up the fake news. So I use that as our tweet of the day. Hey, tweet of the day! Yes, Casey Hunt, of course, tweeted this. She thinks this is proper conduct. Real Donald Trump walks through the Capitol as a way to meet with the public and someone yells across the rotunda, Mr. President, fuck you. Someone. They knew who it was. Congressional aide or intern yelled, Mr. President, fuck you. Yeah. Gets attention of Secret Service. There's only one thing left has taught us is that harassment is peachy keen as long as it's directed against the right people. Which is why Splinter, the Gizmodo-owned news and opinion site, who reported this with glee, also reported this. Stephen Miller's cell phone. Splinter's tweet, pimping the story, is gone, but as this post for publication, the article's still up. We don't link to it. That makes sense. The Splinter clearly doesn't feel bad about it. Splinter just docks Stephen Miller by publishing his cell number 
Stephen Miller, who masterminded this entire ripping family from children mess. That's a lie. Clinton did. But okay. My editor, Andrew Kautz, and uh, I think basically everyone else in our office got suspended for tweeting Splinter News Story containing the phone number of group and furrer Stephen Miller, architect of American Industrial Baby Prison Complex. Lie. Just told me that Twitter put him in a 12-hour timeout. And by the end of the day, all of them got a 12-hour timeout for doxing someone. That's it. Conservatives banned. They just get a timeout. Jim Tretcher sums it up. Remember when the Allied powers stopped Hitler by blasting out his phone number? Libby Watson is a goddamn war hero. Splinter News. Nice you published private cell numbers, but now not your own frecking names to attach to the article, which I thought was pretty good. And then within this, I found Politico just ran the single stupidest story in human history. It's about Stephen Miller in third grade. The girl said he liked scissors and paste. That's the story. Yeah, they, they ran that story. It was okie dokie. Huh. But the big hate, with no repercussions, from his movie company, or on Twitter, was Peter Fonda. Juan, I'm not even going to ask you to defend this. I know you found it disgusting. No, I mean, to me, it was a poorly worded tweet, offensive language used. But what strikes me from this very conversation is you guys delight in it because, again, it takes away delight from Delight in it? No, it's not. Yeah, you delight in it because it takes away conversation focusing on what yep. President Trump did that is antithetical to... The outrage over what he just said, Juan Williams, he's not been back on the five. They brought Geraldo back. Because this is what this guy did. Want to stop this fucking monster? Really want to stop this giant asshole? 90 million people in the streets on the same weekend. These Republican assholes are all in on it. The chief asshole is happy. We are all very upset. We have to get even more angry with these Republicans. It's more than a protest. 90 million people in the streets the same weekend. I can't be the organizer for the recipe for conspiracy to commit sedition. This must be like a spontaneous event without seeming to be organized by me. And we have to make this happen now. But it didn't stop there. Not at all. We should hack the system, get the addresses of the ICE agents, CBP agents, and surround their homes in protest. We should find out what schools the children go to and surround the schools in protest. These agents are doing this because they want to do it. They like doing this fucking shit. Sounds great, he says somebody. We don't have to take the agent's kids. We only need to surround their schools, because that's what this person said. And scare the shit out of them. And worry the fuck out of their agents from CBE, ICE, regular Border Patrol agents. We need to scare the fuck out of them. We need to make their children worry now. We should rip Baron Trump from his mother's arms and put him in a cage with pedophiles. And see if mother will stand up against the giant asshole she's married to. 90 million people in the streets on the same weekend in this country. Fuck yeah! All along, uh, he also said Krista Jolson is a lying gash that should be put in a cage and poked by passerbys. The gash should be pilloried in Lafayette Square, naked and whipped by passerby. Why, while being filmed for posterity, and Sarah Sanders is a lying gash too, and a gash is much worse than a cunt. 
Maybe we should take her children away and deport her to Arkansas and give her children to Stephen Goldwyn Miller for safekeeping. Educated hillbilly. Weirdly liberal is on Twitter calling for a 12-year-old to be raped, doxing, calling double amputee combat vets Nazis, and saying any to the right of Obama's Hitler is not making me want to own fewer guns. Jake Tapper, violent misogyny to own the cons. He was attacked by liberals. Yeah. That was okay for Twitter. The news didn't even cover it. Barron should be raped by pedophiles is his implication. Hmm. Angelo Caruso, a man, Sinclair Cheryl Atkinson did a full segment today defending wildly recognized sexual harasser Trevor Fitzgibbon dismissed the report from many people, never once even featured a single statement from the women that came forward, just defended a sexual harasser. Kevin Zine, what was Media Matters involved with this? Strange you are commenting. Cheryl Atkinson, Media Matters was involved in some of the propaganda against Fitzgibbon. He used to work for Media Matters. Laugh out loud. You're so committed to being a conspiracy theorist, but you're so unimaginative and frankly not good at it. But keep practicing. Cheryl Atkinson, I wonder why Media Matters pays so much attention to me. Considering what you're all about, smearing credible voices who are off the narrative of your paid sponsors, it's actually quite flattering and telling. Gracias. There was worse shit said in there. Mm-hmm. Worse. Ryan Grimm brings his next hate tweet. Planned Parenthood is spending $50,000 to beat a pro-choice woman after she supported Planned Parenthood workers trying to unionize. This lady breaks it down. They've been attacking her like crazy because they don't want to lose their money. Yeah. Her husband, David Sirota, my wife, Emily, from Colorado, is 100% pro-choice to demand Planned Parenthood execs stop trying to bust PP workers a union. Now PPB execs have spent 50000 on ads insinuating she's anti-choice, all to punish her for standing with the union. Donate her to help. Blue on blue crime. Kathy Griffin, picture on Twitter of her calling at least a dozen people motherfuckers, and Twitter saying, we researched and found no violence in your poets. She called everybody a motherfucker. She tweeted it back, keep trying motherfuckers. But she's a liberal. Okay. Mary Catherine Ham was the subject of ugly again. Everyone in this house just ate the same homemade meal at the same time with pork chops and veggies. And there was little, no, oh, no complaining. And no one get in my way. I am on a roll. Now, children, in my great benevolence, I shall allow you to have a watermelon for dessert. Keeping it real, 69. Maybe keep your kids' shout-outs to yourself. Things aren't right in the country right now for the Federalist pundit bragging about our kids. Mary Catherine. Nah, the stop expressing love for your children you know for the children crowd is idiotic. Solves no problem and has no purchase here. But they attacked her. You know, what the fuck? It's what they do. To our hypocrisy, uber-liberal left-wing Catholic cardinal removed credible accusation of sexual abuse on kids. No wonder he was so liberal. Slate, religious conservatives, only care about white families. That was a big theme this week. The Hill, Trump blames immigration issues on the media, accuses reporters of being smugglers and human traffickers. He didn't. Chris Saliza, though, got very fired up about this. 
Donald Trump just flatly said flatly the media is knowingly aiding and abetting smugglers and traffickers. How is that okay, Nathan Berger? It isn't, except what your industry did to Mitt Romney and got away with also isn't okay. And because you got away with nobody cares what Trump says about you. Somebody said, so reap, deal with it. Just like we have to deal with your horrible, biased reporting. Then there's the, vi- the firefighters back again. Olivia Newsy, I play the audio of children separated from the parents of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Facility that was published by ProPublica today at the White House briefing. Officials failed to adequately and truthfully answer questions about the, prov- the policy. Ryan Lizza, this was a really important and brave moment. Brave. Yeah. Okay. Politico, Kristen Gillibrand describes the administration's policy as biblically evil and sees herself as wearing the armor of God. She is so for abortion, it hurts my prank pancreas and the internet let her know it. Because we're long today, Bozell and Graham's column, The Media Insinuate Obama from Scandal, is a fantastic article. It covers everything during his administration, including this horrible tragedy, as they call it now. And nobody cared. They protected him. Hmm. Manafort bleeds guilty to five charges of manslaughter. I just spit out my coffee. ABC News ran that. It was fake. They then said, we regret and apologize for the false lower third graphic that aired during our special report. We're investigating how incorrect information was in our system and how it was allowed to be aired. We apologize to our viewers and to Mr. Manafort. There's simply no excuse for this sort of mistake. But we did it. So, our Bias 101 soundbite is going to set us up for... The biggest fake news story in the Trump administration, which is Time Magazine. It is unparalleled, just biased. They don't care it's biased, as we'll see. And it's what's wrong with our media on so many levels. But the entire soundbite is more Nazis, because I couldn't fit them all in. Time Magazine cover. Lemon, it's about white people. Heilman explaining our media so well that he really hopes that we will punish Trump and the GOP with this border crisis in the midterms. And yes, him and Nicole Wallace said, we as the DNC. I really enjoy and try to understand all the arguments on each side because I want to, I just want to understand it. What do you say? What do you say? Okay, who's got the better of an argument? But whatever side you're on in terms of the policies or what we should do about immigration, the answer just can never be take children from their parents. Mm -hmm. It just can't be. I'm trying to stay as fair-minded and neutral as I possibly can because I think we need more of that just in in our coverage period. We do. But it's just... You can't be taking children from their parents. That just can never be the answer. Well, the images suggest those of concentration camps, families being cut apart. I know children are being marched away to showers. I know they're being marched away to showers 
uh, or they're uh, being told they are, just like the Nazis had, had, had said that they were taking people oh. to showers and then they never came back. Look, bottom line, Donald Trump increasingly looks like Hitler in Nazi Germany. These look like <laughs> concentration Dave, camps. it's rewarding it breaking our immigration unusual punishment, John. I said this yesterday, but increasingly Donald Trump is turning this nation into Nazi Germany and turning these into concentration camps. What's happening is very American in that this is how the country was founded. This is what happened 76 years ago to uh, Japanese Americans in internment camps. Now look, I, I, I know we're not Nazi Germany, all right? But there is a commonality there. I know it would be controversial, but I felt a warning flare was Obviously, necessary. You're so so concerned about what's going on. Yeah. And our, all, all of us are so concerned. We see these heartbreaking images, uh, and it's, it's so, so awful. And this is a policy that is inhumane, indecent, un-American, completely dictatorial. And like I said yesterday, they are the tactics that have been used through the through history by the worst purveyors of pure evil, including slave traders, including Nazis, including terrorists. And now this great country is using them, is using them as well, and we should all be ashamed. There are commentators like Joe Scarborough bringing up the N-word, Nazi. Uh, doesn't the tone of some of the coverage offend a great deal of Americans who feel that the real scandal is that people are entering the country illegally in the first place? How is the border? I'll say, Alex, you know, we arrived yesterday afternoon. We went straight to the facility, the location where kids and their parents were reunited. And all I can say after talking to the people, watching the people, listening to the people, that the Statue of Liberty, I think, is weeping right now. It's unbelievable, the stories that we heard. People say that this zero tolerance policy actually means zero humanity. What do you say to that? I've heard some describe this, and the, the, the rhetoric is very heated right now. The conversation is very heated. And I've heard some people describe this as a form of child abuse. Do you see it that way? It is a form of child abuse. We have now got our first look at the newest edition of Time Magazine. We'll put that up on the screen. There it is with a headline, Welcome to America. You can see the president staring down at a young, undocumented immigrant child, President Trump, who is very image-oriented. Be interesting to see how he responds today. This is the new Time Magazine cover out just moments ago. The president uh, there, a little girl, and it says, um, I can't read it from this far away. Welcome to America, it says right there on the cover. The new issue of Time Magazine, look at this, shows the president towering over a young crying girl. The cover says, Welcome to America. An iconic, a now iconic photo taken last week captured that girl as her mother was detained. And again, I, I just want to show, want to show this cover, uh, devastating cover, of, of, and it's, it's how America right now uh, is, is seen by the rest of the world. Time Magazine out with a stinging new cover. Take a look at this. The president being hit there for separating children from their parents at the border. On the cover it says, welcome. One of the things that's a recurring sort of distressing uh, data point and theme with this administration is using race as a tool to divide people. Um, it started off with, you know, they're sending their rapists, the murderers, they're not sending us their best. Uh, both sides, they're fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. Uh, uh, what's happening on the southern border has certainly a racial component to it. Um, what do you think the state of race relations are in the United States, and how are you as an African-American reporter, how does it affect your reporting of that? You have hit on probably the most important story of our time, especially when it comes to 
this administration. It's what I do, Don. It's what <laughs> it's I do. I think it has, it has everything to do with race. And we were, we were told, or they would ha people would have you be to believe, that this was about economic anxiety. Every single study and survey shows that this was about um, people who were losing power, losing influence. It was about race. People were concerned about not having the same level of influence as they had and they were concerned about Perhaps losing their privilege losing their privilege we are going to be a multicultural society it feels like these are people throwing up sandbags against or these actions like say the southern border actions these are sandbags against a tide that is coming in and that we should not necessarily be afraid of so when you are used to sort of having your way in the world reflecting who you are and what you want when the plane, even if, when the playing field is being leveled it can feel like just the word compassion it is our job in the press and it's also the job of Democrats to not let the president have both ways on this issue and to make sure that he can't be both. You can't just do this thing and then stand up and say, oh, hey, I'm now the hero. I have compassion. Uh, -uh. You can't go around talking about people like they're vermin. You can't inflict this kind of policy on Americans and not pay a political price. We have a great chance to inflict one on him and his party in November. We, I mean, the Democratic Party does. I'm not part of the Democratic Party, but people who object to this policy, which I think is a lot of people beyond the Democratic Party, have a chance to make the president and his party pay a price. They should. And the press needs to hold him accountable and not let him just kind of slide away from this over the course of the next few days and pretend like it didn't happen. I've never seen you like this before. You've given me a lump in my throat with that a little bit. What has to happen now, this can no longer be about who Trump is. It has to be about who we are. If we are working towards November, we can no longer say Trump's the bad guy. If you vote for Trump, you're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. If you vote for Trump, it's you are ripping children from parents' arms. You, the mistake that we've made in the past is look at that bad guy over there, look at that bad guy. What the Democrats have to do is make the next election a referendum on not who Trump is, but who you are. If you vote for Trump, then you, the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald Trump. But if you vote, you can no longer separate yourself. You can't say, well, he's okay, but. And I think that gymnastics and I think that jujitsu has to happen. Patrolling the border, it was after 10 o'clock at night. That is Border Patrol agent Carlos Ruiz, who says he was the first to encounter Sandra Sanchez and her young daughter after they allegedly crossed the Rio Grande into Texas illegally. We asked her, set the kid down in front of her, not away from her, she was right in front of her, and um, so we can properly search uh, the, the mother. So the kid immediately started crying as he set it down. I personally went up to the mother and asked her, are you doing okay? Is the kid okay? And she said, yes. And she's tired and thirsty. You see that night. When I took this picture, I knew it would be important. I had no way of knowing that it would touch people quite on the level that it has. That's Getty photographer John Moore, who joined Ruiz for a nearly nine-hour ride-along on the border. He was just feet from Sanchez and the little girl. I asked her uh, how long she'd been traveling, and she gave me this very weary look, and she said she'd been on the road with her daughter for a month. Imagine doing that with, uh, with children. It's, uh, it's almost impossible to imagine, actually. Moore's image is now on the cover of Time magazine, next to a picture of the president. They're using it to symbolize a policy, and that was not the case on this picture. It took less than two minutes. Um, as soon as the search was finished, she immediately picked the girl up 
and the girl immediately stopped crying. Moore says Ruiz and Unz acted professionally that night, but he is happy with the cover and the response to the image. Oftentimes, immigration is talked about in terms of statistics, and when you put a human face and you humanize an issue, uh, you make people feel. And when you make people feel, they have compassion. And if I've done just a little bit of that, then that's okay. We are also fathers. We are also sons. We are also have families. And um, we do care. Now, I have thousands of articles, but I wanted to play the soundbite because that's the actual officer because the left doesn't care. The media doesn't care. They think, well, even though it's fake, it justifies what's going on there. It is just a representation of what's happening. And the saddest part, this wasn't broken by America's media. I think they already knew it was fake. British Daily Mail broke it. Then Reuters. Then our media when they just couldn't, couldn't no longer ignore the facts because everybody knew. They're together and saved father of Honduran two-year-old who became the face of family separation crisis. Reveals daughter was never separated from mother. But the image of her in tears of U.S. border control broke his heart. Bombshell. Girl never separated at border. Mom paid smuggler and abandoned family. Yeah. But what did we do? Major News Network publication ran with the image, noting that it was now the face of the campaign against Trump administration immigration policy of separating families at the border, even though this has been going on for years and is not new to his administration. CNN, the girl crying has quickly become the human face of President Trump's now new, new zero-tolerance immigration policy, which resulted in separation. USA Today, since June 12th, the photo has been shared thousands of times on social media, and it's currently the cover photo a Facebook Facebook campaign raising money for legal fees to reunite children's separation of the parents of the border. Washington Post. By now, millions of people have seen a photo of a two-year-old girl screaming while a U.S. Border Patrol pats down her mother, taken last Tuesday. The image has become a symbol of the Trump administration's new zero-tolerance border, border policy. It's just all false. Article, Time Magazine shocking cover is a total lie. No wonder Americans don't trust the media. This week, Time Magazine featured a picture of a crying illegal immigrant child on the cover. The child was supposedly separated from her parents over her, over her looms. Donald Trump smugly staring down on her. Air only one problem. The cover is total bullshit. It's not just total bull because Trump hasn't implemented a newly developed policy of separating children from the parents. That's an operation of law under the Flores settlement as modified by the 2016 Ninth Circuit Court ruling. It's bull because this particular child wasn't separated from her mother. Her mother was fleeing persecution but did falsely claim asylum. Her mother did put the child in danger, and Trump was targeted by the media for treating this mother as a child exactly the same way the Obama administration would have. Rooters, the Honduran toddler pictured sobbing in the pink jacket before the U.S. President Donald Trump on an upcoming cover of Time magazine, was not separated from her mother at the U.S. border, according to a man who says he is the girl's father. My daughter has become a symbol of the separation of children at the U.S. border. She may have been touched. 
She may have even touched President Trump's heart. Dennis Valera told Reuters in a telephone interview, Valera said the little girl and her mother, Sandra Sanchez, have been detained together in Texas border town, McAllen, where Sanchez has applied for asylum, and they were not separated or being detained near the border. Honduran Deputy Foreign Minister Nelly Jerez confirmed Valera's version of the events because they didn't want to believe him. So why did the mother take off for America? According to the dad, she ditched her three other children because she wanted better economic opportunities. Yet this photo was passed around endlessly and was used by various human rights groups to raise cash for the anti-Trump effort. Remember, the same media organization promoting this photo tore into Trump for using footage of migrants in Morocco rather than a southern border to push his anti-illegal immigration agenda. The media have spent the last several days believing the Americans dislike them only because President Trump has somehow manipulated them. That isn't true. Trump merely took advantage of the fact that the media has utterly undermined their own credibility and continue to do so each and every day. No wonder Trump loves the media. They're doing him the favor of demonstrating their continued bias by promoting actual fake news on a regular basis. And once again, like LGBT, like abortion, like gay marriage, like DACA, the American people are not with you. Backfire. Poll has bad news for those hoping border separation would change voter minds. The survey found 82% Republicans and 56% of non-affiliated voters believe that illegal immigration parents are to blame because they're breaking the law, whereas 60% of the Democrats feel that the government is to blame because they need a political cudgel. Rasmussen also found the majority of Americans, 54%, agreed with President Trump's recent comment, the United States will not be a migrant camp and it will not be a refugee holding facility. It won't be. The Daily Wire reported on a separate poll released by YouGov that showed only 19% of U.S. adults favored the Democrat catch-and-release policy, which simply allows family to enter the country illegally, go free on a promise that they'll come back for their hearing. The amazing part about this is this week on CNN, and I'm not going to play it, that piece of shit Cuomo was bragging, well, 75% of these families come back. Where he got that number, nobody knows. But regardless, that's horrible. We're not bringing him to justice. Catch and release is catch and release. And just like abortion, the semantics of that have liberals run around, oh, don't say catch and release, that's demeaning human beings. That's what you say about trouts. They're not doing it because they're offended. They're doing it because they don't want people to know that's their policy. We're going to catch you and we're going to let you just do whatever the fuck you want. Run to a sanctuary city. We will give you taxpayers' money, free driver's license, free Medicare. We're going to give you everything because you're going to vote for us. That's what it's about. So when these facts came to light, had this goal, the CNN person who was pushing this hard, Time Editor-in-Chief, the June 12 photograph of the two-year-old Honduran girl became the most visible symbol of the ongoing immigration debate in America for a reason. So is this editor admitting the whole ongoing immigration debate is a lie because that is what the picture of the little girl has become? Proof that our media is nothing but a biased, desperate propaganda arm for the Democratic Party? Under the policy enforced by the administration. Prior to his reversal this week, 
those who crossed the border illegally were criminally prosecuted, which in turn resulted in separation of children and parents. Our cover and our reporting capture the stakes of this moment. So in other words, the picture could have been stock photo. They don't care as long as it hurts Trump. This is the state of the media in our country. I feel free now to not believe a word from them in the future. And others, CNN can spin this any way they want. It's still a lie. The woman broke our immigration law twice, put her child in a dangerous situation. The father and everyone who else did, says it didn't happen. The child needs to be returned to her father immediately, and the mother locked the fuck up. CBS actually fact-checked it because they didn't want to believe it. And my favorite is Stephen Mueller. I'll take a guess. Despite the claims made by the father, which contradict the claims made by Time and other media outlets, that that shouldn't diminish the powerful effect the image has, nor should it diminish the great work the media is doing bringing these stories forward. He's addressing this to Brian Seltzer. Because everybody, including me, was nailing him like, what are you going to do, reliable sources? What are you going to do? We have a story in the works, is his reply. Stephen Miller doubles down. It doesn't matter the crying girl was never separated from her mother, as time has claimed. Shouldn't matter that the mother was not an asylum seeker, nor took the girl against the father's will on a dangerous journey. What should matter are her tears. Right-wing media and Trump supporters immediately seized upon the narrative that the photo was somehow fake. That's because the girl was never separated from her mother, that her tears or fear were something less real. I'll be dipped in dog shit. What is the paraphrase of his article? How the pro-Trump media weaponized the mistake. The mistake was immediately seized upon by White House aides and Trump allies in the media. One fairly uses a weapon to attack the media as a whole. Time did not make a mistake to be sure. Time did make a mistake to be sure. But in no ways that the rest of the reporting on the immigration issue is false. The journalist should not be trusted to accurately report the story. But that did not stop a flood of criticism for pundits and outlets on the right who exploited the mistake to attack the press and cast doubts on the larger story of what is happening on the border. And word for word... I think Stephen Miller actually helped him. So how many lies have we had? There's been seven, my friends. And it started with Favreau. David French wrote to the National Review that Favreau wasn't the only leftist to spread the lie as an activist like Linda Sauer shared the image as did journalists like Hadass Gold, Jake Silverstein, and the New York Times. It's important to note that the Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy on April 6, 2018, nearly nine weeks before those lies started popping up on social media. Now let's look at what happened right around the time when the narrative was starting to take shape and was starting to grow. Reuters poll released on May 22nd showed that the Democrats' momentum heading into the 2018 midterm was completely gone. Fox News' Catherine Heritage reported on May 29th that congressional sources had indicated Inspector General Horowitz was stated to testify to Congress and release a report in mid-June. New York Times reported on May 30th that the North Korean summit between Trump and Kim Jong-un was back on. The Democrats and the media intentionally lied about Trump's animal comments. Nancy Pelosi gave a press conference on May 17th where she continued to push the lie. In response, the RNC put out a brutal campaign ad slamming the Democrats for the remarks of the parents' support of MS-13. What should be clear is the Democrats were losing all the momentum they had and were desperate to capture control of the news cycle. Now let's look at the lies. Favreau falsely insinuates in a tweet that Trump was referring to immigrants as illegal illegal infest aliens are infesting the U.S. 
when he was referencing MS-13. ABC News falsely insinuated Trump was referring to children and their parents when he said at a rally, we're sending them all back. The media insinuated the 10-year-old girl with Down syndrome. That was a lie. Four, a two-year-old Honduran girl that the media claimed was separated the border from her mother was never separated from her mother. Leftist activist Antonia Arsino falsely claimed ICE's largest family detention center, Carnes County Residential Center in Texas, run by contractor GEO Group, has a prison bus for babies. Two, a report from the Associated Press claimed that illegal immigrants at a detention center in Virginia have been subject to horrible abuses from 2015 to 2018. Trump's name four times, but failed to mention Obama, even though many of the incidents happened over Obama's tenure. Number one, MSNBC falsely claims that Trump was throwing children in concentration camps and warned his viewers that your kids could be next. On top of all this, the iconic images that the media has ran, one of the images was Obama's condition. Second one was a staged image by an immigration group that wants open borders when they put kids in cages and the media ran it like it was real for a day and they got caught in the Time Magazine photo. The three photos the media have run and become iconic, in their words, have nothing to do with Trump. None. But every talking head is like Charles Blow. Trump can round up angel families in a day or so to exploit the grief. Melania can plan a tour of facilities in Texas in 48 hours, yet we still don't have a reunification plan for these families. They're ignoring the fake. They just don't care. It doesn't fit their agenda. They don't care. So when they did an angel family, Kathy Griffin sums it up. Message to parents around the stage of Trump at this press conference. I am so sorry for your loss, but the man you're standing with could give two shits. He's using you for propaganda. Propaganda like all the fake photos you guys have pushed? Propaganda about the statistics that 12,000 kids were all ripped from their mother's arms when 10,000 of them came unaccompanied? None of them went to asylum centers. They didn't go to a port of entry. 94% of kids in Homestead, Florida shelters are unaccompanied. That fact doesn't get out. That's not propaganda. So I had 20 minutes of the angel. I'm going to cut it down to five. I'm just going to play one. One family. You'll never hear it. And then I'll hear actually positives on the backside. You'll hear Brooke Baldwin actually for one second being a journalist. And another lady on CNN trashing Ted Lieu because this is the shit they're doing. He went on the house floor and literally played crying kids at a facility. When in 2014, when this really was a crisis, he played fucking cricket. Modale, Iowa. Great place. Michelle, please come up. Thank you, Mr. President. My daughter, Sarah Root, was killed within 24 hours after graduating with a bachelor's 4.0 in criminal investigations, out celebrating, stopped at a stoplight, and rear-ended 
by Edwin Mejia going 70-plus miles an hour. He was arrested, but then he paid a $5,000 bail, and now he has fled. Our separation, like everybody has said, is permanent. Sarah never gets to go on to be a wife, a mother, a grandmother, an aunt. My son does not have his only sibling any longer. My life has been devastated. So has my daughter's family and friends. I want to thank President Trump and Vice President Pence, Barbara Gonzalez, John Freire, and Director Holman for all their support. They have never given up on us. AVIAC was a group that we started because we were tired of not having anybody else to go to to get information. When Sarah was killed January 31st of 2016, I had nobody. But I was thankful for my politicians in my area. And, you know, President Trump was one of the first ones to reach out to my family. And he has been there from the beginning, never left our side. Now we just need to get my daughter's killer found again. My separation is permanent. Sarah's never coming home. I never get to take a selfie with her again. I have no more pictures of her. So please, thank you guys for everything. Keep up the great work. Our police officers, our Border Patrol, please continue to fight. Thank you. This was something that uh, I think violated all American values. It was an un-American activity. But here's a question for Democrats, because you hear the president now, you know, a lot on a lot of topics, and this one inc inc included, you know, looking back to previous administrations, uh, well, they, they should have done more, right? And so as so many people in this country are certainly outraged by the cages and the thermal blankets and the facilities housing these kids, you know, they were all there in 2014 under President Obama. And my question to you, Senator Baldwin, is did you speak up against them then? You know, on, the, on this issue that we get into a moment where we're making progress and then when it, uh, when it stalls, uh, we turn around. I think we all need to continue to be focused on it and press it through. The American people need confidence that we can solve problems. Nobody believes that we have uh, an immigration system that works. It is broken. It needs fixing. But we've just got to resolve to do that. But were you worried about it then? Did you raise your voice under the Obama administration? You know, in numbers of cases, usually uh, I remember a constituent who was in detention at the border, uh, arguably uh, very inappropriately, um, and we, uh, you know, we raised our voice in that instance and many others. But that's, uh, we've got to do this now in unison. He's playing that in just what happened on the floor was that the Republican uh, chair at the time was gaveling, trying to get him to stop. Take a, take away the sort of the, the rules and the protocol of the House floor. Um, Democrats know what they're doing here too. 
that's not serious, what he did. I mean, that's like, a serious person doesn't do that. That's a very serious audio. It's, a very, it's heart-wrenching to listen to. And to politicize that, I mean, we see people on the House floor with those silly signs all the time. That's not helpful. That's not helpful to those kids. That doesn't add anything to the debate. That's a they don't care. It's no different than guns. It's no different than anything. They just lie. And they wonder why we don't trust them. As a party, as a media, you just lie. Here's other lies in our stats. Gallup in the U.S. estimate of LGBT rises to 4.5, not 5.7. Article, there aren't as many gay people as you think. New research finds overestimation of the homosexual population is linked with lower support for gay rights. Americans have grown more accepting as homosexual in recent decades, but the clear trend has obscured other fascinating shifts in perceptions and attitudes. For one thing, Americans tend to greatly overestimate the percentage of population that identifies as gay, lesbian, or bisexual because it's shoved in the media like you have 45 gay people at work. That's why. And this misunderstanding perception has only grown over the decade what's more those who do so are more likely to hold misconceptions about homosexuality and less likely to support gay rights policies such as employment protection same-sex marriages these findings come from and i had a page freeze sorry hold on come on mouse stop being weird today a newly published study which finds attitudes toward gay rights like those on so many other subjects are increasingly intertwined with our political identities. Politicization of gay-related issues is stronger than ever, even with, or perhaps because of, tremendous political and policy gains made in recent decades by the LGBT movement. The researchers compared data from two large surveys, one conducted by Gallup in 1977 and another conducted by the Public Religion Research Institute in 2013. Participants in each were asked to give their best guess of how many Americans are gay or lesbian. The taking the older survey chose between 10 categories from 0 to 9 percent to 90 to 100 percent, while those taking the newer survey gave a numerical percentage. In addition, both surveys asked about support for then-current gay rights topics, including homosexual relations being legal in 1977 gay marriage in 2013, and equal rights and employment and child adoption. The study first finding is that public tends to consistently overestimate the size of the gay and lesbian population. The average guess in 1977 was 10 to 19, and in 23 it was 25%. Gallup reported in 2015 that 3.8% of Americans actually identify, and now it's 45 It's just bullshit. But it leads us to our next fact. Do Christians have a future in LGBTQ America? An actual article, and I'll read the end. According to a recent Gallup survey, 41% of Americans identify as evangelical Christians. Will the course of events in LGBTQ-controlled America preclude them from shopping, working, speaking, existing in our nation's public space? The preamble of our Constitution says that we, the people, establish the Constitution in order to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. The direction of events indicate that our prosperity has much to be concerned about. And it's true. It's true. Everything 
in democratic-controlled world is anti-Christian. Nothing's anti-gay. Most of us don't give a fuck. Last night, my wife wanted to watch What Would You Do? A liberal show that's still pushing the gay shit. Where they went to a place in New York to prove that everybody's gay-phobic. The problem is they don't do that show in the South where we all leave each other the fuck alone. And if any of that happened in a restaurant, people just ignore it. Somebody came up with a gay pin. They, okay, whatever. Do your thing. I don't want to give a fuck. But they showed it down to just how horrible they believe you are. I'm not going to leave her a tip because she's gay. That was actually said. That she's pushing a lifestyle with a pin. Nobody does that in the South. It's your stereotype. Then there's this. Police say no deal on California bill to restrict their use of force. California State Senate actually wanted to pass a law that basically says cops can't do shit. And now the police are fighting back. You know why they're fighting back? L.A. Sheriff Department seizes over 520 guns from Felon's Home. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department seized over 520 guns from the home of, wait for it, 60-year-old Manuel Fernandez, an illegal immigrant. And you wonder why we don't want illegal immigration. Hmm. So let's move into our segment. It's got to be brief for today. I guess I went a little long with the sound bites. Me and the wife, well, me, I got Hulu. And we decided to watch Handmaid's Tale. I mean, it's so part of the resistance. I had to see what this was about. Now, to show you how crazy lefties are, I'm going to start with an alt-left insanity article. Handmaid's Tale isn't racist enough. And once again, there'll be spoilers on this. I'm going to talk about certain subjects within it. I'm not going to break down the season. I'm not going to play sound bites. You've already had that rammed down your throat. I'm just going to talk about it. So if you're planning on to watch and you don't want to hear it, fast forward and go to news and social media nuggets. Man being woke is a full-time job. you got to get a handle on outrage du jour and how it intersects with all the other stuff you're supposed to be outraged about. The fight for Zoroastrian little people for the right to work in Tajikistan, steel smelting industry is of a piece with the struggle of Portland's gay Asian ice cream vendors for the right to stupid leather Speedos, and then you've got to get ready for it to change. Take Dana Mathis' recent article on The Handmaid's Tale for the week. Last year, Hulu's standout feminist series was praised by critics for a chilling depiction of what could happen to women in the Trump era. Got it. Trump era, bad, evil Christians impregnating women and forcing them to carry babies to term. Female servitude, bad hats, makes sense. But now the show also panned for refusing to acknowledge race in its vision of a dystopian future. But now in season two, the show can't even acknowledge race in present-day America. Apparently, the book had no black people, and season one gets set in the dark future only had a few. Reacting to complaints, showrunner Bruce Miller made the decision that there would be many more multiracial relationships than there had been when initially Alfred was with a black man and had a mixed-race child, but I guess that wasn't enough, since it was in the present time, according to original author Margaret Atwood. Miller added them, but only half-heartedly, it seemed, because it didn't make them obsess over race. It's just not an issue. It might have been Martin Luther King proud. It gets Mathis 
cheesed. Miller's attempt at a more diverse cast might have been well-intentioned, but by refusing to have the show's character even see race, he has created a racial utopia that's only getting more fantastical with each passing episode. Imagine a story in which a theocratic, totalitarian government takes over America and enslaves women being fanatical. She's aghast that in one scene, Annie is a black woman, but there's not even a hint of racial tension when she confronts June in the public after yoga class. Nowhere in the exchange was the obvious fact brought up. A black man was leaving a black wife for a white woman. None of the parties appeared conscious of their race, even when hurling their most hurtful barbs. Not one N-word, not even Mandingo reference. This cannot stand. The show's utter refusal to adopt any critical viewpoint against race turns every intersectional, interracial connection into an idyllic burden bubble for June. She never has to confront what it means to a mother of a black child as a white woman. She never has to consider any privilege as a wife of a black man in a white supremacist society. Sounds an awful lot like Mathis wants to punish June for being white, or at least for not being miserable about race as Mathis is herself, and punish The Handmaid's Tale for taking on only one liberal bugbear at a time. But maybe she wants her country punished, irredeemably racist as it is. In their faux-utopian post-racial reimagined of the before Miller and Atwood haven't just erased race, they've erased America. That's, it, it's not liberal enough for them. And that astounds me. Now, I'm going to read a few articles of how the left see this. And then you'll hear Tony Reid's version. The Handmaid Tale held up a mirror to the year of Trump. In politics and culture, the year 2017 was the opposite of where, where's Wally? The question instead was always, where isn't Trump? All roads, public debate, private arguments, artistic endeavors seem eventually to lead in a squalid direction. His gravitational pull, irresistible, his fleshy presence, horribly ubiquitous. It wasn't just the explicit satire of, say, Saturday Night Live that kept the U.S. president front and center in the cultural life. Lee Hall's triumphant reworking of the National Theater of Network, Patty Chexy's 1976 film about mass media and demagogy, held a more subtle mirror up to the age of Trump. Shakespeare's history plays acquired fresh and often unsettling relevance. Watch out for the Bridge Theater's production of Julius Cedar, or open London next month. Even Planet of the Apes teamed with apparent parallels and post-apocalyptic vision of the walls, segregation, and deportation. Yet it was Hulu's television adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale that jangled the nerves most vividly in such startling effect. Said in the near future, it imagined Gilead, an authoritarian mutation in the United States, in which the constitutional apparatus has been forcibly dismantled and replaced by the patriarchal rule of Sons of Jacob, stripping women of all rights and enslaving those who remain fertile as handmaids, serially raped in the pseudo-biblical ceremony to provide the childless governing caste with progeny. The Handmaid's Tale was essentially televisual, te- televisual fiction, yet in its uncompromising exploration of fear and power and its abuse, it all captured the lightning of the moment in a bottle of dy- dystopian genius. It was nothing short of a mesmeric, all the more so on appeated viewing. When the series was ordered in April 2016, Trump was a front-runner to win the Republican nomination, but not quite the presumptive candidate. It was still orthodox to assert that Hillary Clinton would trounce him in the election itself. His unapologetic misogyny had been perfectly cleared at the first Republican contender's debate in August, sparring with Megyn Kelly, insulting Rosie O'Donnell, blah, blah, blah. 
But the notorious Access Hollywood tape, Grab Them by the Pussy, did not become public until October, but with which staged The Handmaid's Tale was already in production. Yet through luck, intuition, or a combination of the two, the series became a disturbing text for our times. Produced by Atwood, author of the original novel, and Elizabeth Moss, a man-hater who played the lead character June Offred, it did more than a thousand news bulletins to capture all that was mo- most toxic about the new populist right and the shredding of the constitutional norms. When the book first appeared in 85, it was hailed as an ingenious thought experiment and, of course, a bleak warning. Atwood's point was that all the practices she described in fictional Gilead were actually taking place somewhere in the world. She was right, too, to draw attention to the strong strain of puritism embedded in American culture by the first settlers, at least as powerful as the Enlightenment values usually associated with the Founding Fathers. But context at all... What seemed a cautionary tale then feels more like a deafening klaxon now. Why? Because the world of Alfred, though still notionally a fiction, has migrated from the creative construction to the realm of the thinkable. Gilead's use of technology to subordinate women overnight seemed all too close to the bone in the year in which a, the power of digital manipulation and cyber warfare to distort the democratic process became chillingly apparent. If the roots of pluralism, minority rights, and constitutionalism were as shallow as Trump's clearly believed, then anything was possible, and that is not all just as the series acted as a mythical commentary upon the culture wars of the Trump era. It also prefigured the fight back of the Me Too movement. Jody Cantor and Megan Tooney broke the Harvey Weinstein story in the New York Times in October, but the global phenomenon spined by their initial investigation was luminously foreshadowed in The Handmaid's Tale. And in one particular scene in the final episode, Offred and her fellow handmaids are assembled to stone one of their number to death. In a moment of beautifully captured solidarity, they refuse to comply, each dropping her stone as the scandalized guards and the supervising aunts look on. The shot of their rebellious march away from the execution site to the strains of Nina Simone might be the backdrop drop to all that followed in the real world. Not that the story ends there. There will be consequences, says Anne Dowd's Aunt Lydia, who people call Sarah Sanders. Believe me, as in art, so in life, if you doubt that the Me Too movement... <clears throat> has sown male resentment, look at some of the MGTO men going their own way sites and Reddit threads and think again. There are t-shirts for sale online that bear Gilead's theatric greeting under his eye. Do you think it is a woman who are buying them? 26-year-old Susan Faldi warned in backlash that the struggle for gender equality was only just beginning. Just as many on the alt-right envy Islam segregation of women, so there are men seething at never before who privately regard Atwood's Gilead not as dystopian, but an inspiration. As I heard one say after watching the first few episodes, when does it get started? When does it start getting bad? Atwood's novel's opaque about Alfred's fate, but ends with an arch postscript. The minute of an academic conference in 2195 implying that Gilead eventually collapses. In contrast, the television series returns in the spring to resume the story of the characters she created more than 30 years ago. The spark of hope as its heart is the notion that history is not preordained, that its unfolding depends upon human agency and courage. Note tell bastards cobrundrum, don't let the bastards grind you down, is the scratch graffiti written by one of Alfred's predecessors. The secret package given to her by the resistance contains not a bomb, but something much more potent. The letters of the scores of handmaids breaking their silence. Small wonder 
that this extraordinary series gripping our imagination this year, and I expect will do so again in 2018. As Atwood has remarked of her novel, you don't write these things hoping they become more relevant. Alas, the choice is not in the writer's hands. Then the author. Hillary was president with the show not have worked. It would have worked as a show, but it wouldn't have worked the same way. Of course not. You always view things through the lens of events that have taken place. Charles Lindbergh seemed like a possibility for president of the United States at 30. But in 42, he wasn't anymore. Why? Because the United States was in World War II and he was a fascist. Were you surprised that Trump was elected? I'm too old to really be surprised. Think of how long I've been on the planet. I've seen a lot of regime changes in different countries. The people who were devastated were young people who had never experienced anything and... Some of them were quite upset. But it's not the end of the world, although it's pretty bad for the environment. Other articles. Is The Handmaid's Tale an allegory of the Trump era? Bruce Miller, the show's creator, talks about the similarities between the show and our current environment on the latest episode of Inside the Hive. Then you browse social media for commentary about Trump care. You'll find countless people responding to Republicans with the line under his eye. When you read commentary regarding Republic efforts to ban birth control, blessed be the fruit. These, of course, are references to the prescient, intense show Handmaid's Tale, which is based on the fucking book. From the Women's March to the recent anti-corruption protests in Russia, Handmaid's Tale has become, in many ways, the dystopian story of our time. On this week's episode of Inside the Hive, I sat down with Bruce Willer, Miller, the creator of Handmaid's Tale, to discuss the similarities between the show and our current political climate, and whether he and Atwood worry that it might become a version of reality. In particular, I asked Miller if he thought an event could galvanize America toward a similar form of authoritarianism, perhaps like the famous Reichstag arson that helped facilitate Hitler's rise. There you go, gotta get the Nazi in. Yes and no, Miller responds. I think that people can either manufacture or take advantage of a particular convoluted moment, a terrorist attack, the Reichstag fire. There's always that possibility, and I feel that possibility with this administration becomes, it seems like, such an insecure group. However, Miller noted that it would be difficult for America to fall into dystopian similar to the fictitious Republic of Gilead. Americans really don't like being told what to do. They'd rather rebel against something, even if they disagree with it. But, is that part of the problem? Then there's this one. Oh, I'm going to get to the point. Just bear with me. Why the Handmaid's Tale is more relevant one year after the first season. Jessica Valentine. Let me just dig in there. And other flashbacks, Max Bettles, blah, 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 blah. The part of what makes the show so terrifying, we don't have to be in full Gilead to understand that we already live in a misogynistic nightmare. American women may not be handmaids, but we are living in a country where conservative politicians would mandate forced pregnancy where women are sentenced to decades in prison for ending their pregnancies, where a man believes 25% of the female population should be executed, is being hailed as a singular talent and a rigorous thinker. We don't have to imagine the worst, because women are already in deep, serious trouble. The Trump administration, through their very own Serena Joy, the Department of Health and Human Services, Valerie Huber, is pushing the rhythm method over birth control. And wants to teach women sexual refusal skills in lieu of substantive family planning. One third of the state abortion restrictions since 
Roe versus Wade was passed have been enacted in just the last seven years. Hate crimes are on the rise the second year in a row, and while the rise in feminist activism since Trump's election have been heartening, we're still left to grapple with the fact that so many Americans voted for an unrepentant misogynist, and that those voters very likely supported Trump not in spite of his sexism, but because of it. And so I don't have much hope that my sleepless nights will come to an end when the series does. Because as beautifully terrifying and incredibly well acted as Handmaid's Tale is, its true success is holding up a mirror to the horrors we've already become so immune to. Oh my god. Then there's articles about disturbing merchandise of the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, they all gotta have their shit. And then I find, after copious searching, because you can't get just regular searches. I'm sorry. They don't have them out there. They link Nazis and Trump when you search for Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale is already a reality for women. Muslim girl. Trigger warnings. Rape, murder, abuse, genocide, war. Then an article... Hate crime, honor killing, and FMG. How Atwood's tale captures our age of fear that talks about it. Why do we focus on Christianity when discussing the Handmaid's Tale? When all the closest examples are in the Islamic world is another article. A Handmaid's Tale is a reflection of Sharia, not Trump on Reddit. And that's exactly what I took away from it. Here's the problem with the liberal twisting of a fictional show. Now, before I go into what I took from the show, I want you to understand, as a normal person, it's a fucking show! It's a book written by a woman who hated America, lauds Canada, and thinks our country was all sorts of fucked up back in 1985. We were just fucked up. Who believes women already are handmaids? But it's fiction. It's not real. The left loves to grab something from popular culture to bring in their argument and own and go, Yeah, see, this is what we're talking about. Nothing in this show made me or my very female wife well, granted, we're both its. We're unics. We're both fixed. She's had a hysterectomy. I've had a vasectomy. So I guess in a total, we, we're not real to the left. We didn't take Trump out of this. We took the left out of this. Gilead is not conservative. This lady, Atwood, hated Christians. She even said so in many interviews. She went to the Old Testament that only Jewish people follow, but they don't follow it like back in the Old Testament days. And she cherry-picked quotes just like Obama does, and that's how we'll close out this thing, because that's really what this is all about. A way to crash Christians, just bash them with their Puritan ways and their horrible thoughts about no abortion. And she cherry-picked it and wrote a fucking book. But the problem is, all the peace be, may the fruit be fucking fruitful, all the stupid lines, that's liberals. 
Liberals are the people in our country every day group thinking what you can say and not say, how you can act, how you can think, what you can think, what you can believe, what your norms are. Not conservatives. There's no conservative running around saying you have to do this. There's liberals passing laws that make Christians go, fuck your Christianity, you're going to give morning after pills. Conservatives never did that. And all the banning on abortion, they're not banning abortion. They're doing what the American people want. Everybody in America, except for you liberals, doesn't want abortions after 20 weeks because it's a fucking human being in there, folks. It's not a clump of cells. It's a human being and it's a heartbeat. They say you can go abort a million babies before 20. We don't give a fuck as long as we don't pay for it. That's what America's been about. That's what normal's about. We don't want to get in your life, but you want to get in our life. You want us to pay for your mistakes. We don't fuck going to Planned Parenthood and getting goddamn uh, birth control. I'm just going to fuck unabated, and you're going to pay for my mistakes. We don't want to do that. And we think you're a murderer when you kill a fucking baby. After 20 weeks. That's the left, not the right. Secondly, it's not Christianity that bashes gays and makes them gender traitors. This show tries so hard to implicate something in modern society to that and attach it to Christians. That's not Christianity. That's Islam, buddy. They throw motherfuckers off roofs. It's illegal with jail time or fucking execution to suck dick in the Middle East. Alright, so that's what I took away. All this women's subjugation is no different than burqas. All this rape is Islam. All this women are just vessels to make babies? Islam. Remember, I've been outside the country, you fucking moon bats. Afghan warriors, bad motherfuckers, fucked little boys for fucking sex. Their wives were stuck in the house, could not be seen by another man, draped under tapestries of burkas, and she only spread her legs with the burka on when it was time to make a baby. This is no different than everything else in the left. It's a blatant fucking lie. You have taken a show and made it about what you hate, not even for one second looking at facts. Real facts. Female mutilation, female rape, female subjugation, gay fucking murders. Because in the show they hang gay people. That's all Islam, not Christianity. And the whole group think, you know, there's no Christians running around making 95 fucking pronouns and arguing amongst yourself about said pronouns. It's a good show. It's worth watching. If you watch it like a normal American and just go, it's a show. It's just like 1984. That's all it is. A show. It's entertaining. But like everything else in our current age, the left has to co-op everything, lie, 
deceit, take all the facts, wipe their ass of it, and just make up a bunch of bullshit. So, that's my review of Handmaid's Tale. Go watch it. It's dark. It's entertaining. It's not as dark as The Leftovers, but it's pretty fucking dark. And I did like it. We we power watched that some bitch in two days. Me and the wife did not leave the couch other than take pee breaks. And we power watched fucking, well, ten episodes plus ten episodes. I think there's some more coming. There's one more episode this season. So we watched 20 episodes in two days. Had a great time. It's very entertaining. But it has nothing to do with the current world. It's a fake fucking show. It's not about Christians. It's not about Trump. It's about the left. Right now in our world, you flip the script from making babies to abortion. You got Planned Parenthood. That's the Annie's running around taking kids and going, go kill that motherfucking baby. Aunt Lydia is not Sarah Sanders. Aunt Lydia is Cecile fucking Richards. So, here's a great soundbite of Obama bashing Christians, because it goes well with this. We'll do another music break and news, social media nuggets. We are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation of non-believers. And we have only Christians without... If we expel every non-Christian from the United States, whose Christianity would we teach in the... Would it be James Dobbs' Nuts? Which is of Scripture should get policy. Should we go with Leviticus, which is a general okay, with eating a shelf abomination? Or with Deuteronomy, which is a general child, if he strays... Or should we just stick to the smile? A passage that is so, that it's doubtful that our own defense would survive its application. We, so before we get carried away, the Bible's not. And the Bible, which brings the point, that democracy demands religiously motivated, translate concerns into universal and religion-specific value. What do I mean by this? It requires that proposals be subject to art and amenable to reason. Now, I may be opposed to abortion for religious reasons, to temple, but if I seek to pass a learning the practice, I can point to the teachings of my church or at God's will, and why abortion violates some principle that is accessible of all faiths, including those with no faith at all. It's going to be difficult for some who can there and see the Bible, as many Muslims do. But in
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whale. Yeah, he's in the military now. I had to take a stretch after that section. I got all fired up. Badass in our military corner. What this British Special Forces sergeant did to six Taliban terrorists is incredible. Great brand equivalent of the American Navy SEAL, the SAS. British Army's most renowned Special Force unit. One SAS sergeant fighting with the terrorist Taliban in Afghanistan in January showed why SAS force rank with the best in the world in a harrowing confrontation with six Taliban fighters in a nearly pitch black tunnel after the SAS fighters had destroyed a Taliban base. Six fighters escaped into an underground cave complex in northern Afghanistan. One of the fighters was a HVT. The series of tunnels were perfected for claustrophobia, less than two feet wide, four feet high, and almost completely dark. Then the 29-year-old sergeant, a veteran who fought in Iraq, took it upon himself to pursue the fighters. The mission had only been partially successful because the base was destroyed, but the SAS were after the HVT. It was pretty clear none of the Afghan commandos were going to go in after him, so he volunteered. There wasn't enough room to use a long barrel weapon, so the Brit used his Glock and grabbed a claw hammer. He couldn't see the Taliban, but he could hear and smell them. He shot three of them dead, one after the other, but then his pistol jammed. He fought two more in the dark with a tunnel open in a larger room that was partially lit by a candle. After he killed those two... Sorry, my computer's freezing up. Was attacked by another, but killed him almost instantly with a single blow. He captured the HVT with a fucking threat of a claw hammer. That's a bad motherfucker. Then there was this. U.S.-led coalition destroyed Islamic State narcotics cache, including 300,000 so-called jihad pills. The international coalition to defeat the Islamic State has destroyed a large cache. The drugs were estimated to have black market value of $1.4 million, according to the press. Um, despite ISIS's facade of Islamic purity, its criminal terrorists are well-known drug users and traffickers. The cache include 300,000 pills of Captagon, an illegal drug frequently trafficked and used by ISIS. Captagon is a highly addictive metaphantiamoth... Ephetamine-based drug that is banned in many countries. The drug keeps its users awake and alert for long periods of time and can help dull pain. It's made with fentanyl. So those dudes are all hopped up to go do their jihad. Hmm. And our last one is the Marine Corps fielding brand new night vision goggles. Let's break it down. The... Uh, BNVG2, which will mount on the front of the standard-issue enhanced combat helmet, is designed to improve depth perception and visibility by amplifying ambient light from a source like the stars of the moon, blah, 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 blah. In addition, the new one will have a clip-on thermal imager to give a predator-style 
we hope, thermal overlay to the existing field of vision, allowing Marines to discern living targets under even the darkest conditions. Together, MARSOC systems officials say they represent a major burst to boost to marine lethality. The BNVG-2 helps Marines see enemies at a distance and uses the CADI to detect ordnance or powerful power sources for an explosive device that give off heat. Infantry Weapons Program Analyst Nia Cherry said in release, CADI intensifies Marines' ability to see through dark conditions, rain, fog, dust, smoke, and even bushes. The BMVG-2, when taken with the new M27 Infantry Automatic Rifle and MK-13M Mod 7 Sniper Rifle, will let them go out and womp some fucking ass. That's badass. They show pictures with it. It does have more texture, is what I would say, than what I had. Um, you know, the PS14 was great, but this one is next level. Which takes us to our college crazy. Professor blames mathematics for global disparities in wealth. Yeah, this is real. I have two math stories, which is incredible. In a chapter for a new textbook, University of Exeter, Professor Paul Ernst warns that mathematics education could cause collateral damage to society by training students in ethics-free thought. He even argues that since money involves mathematics, math is implicated in the global disparities of wealth because math students are taught to value detached and calculative reasoning. But wait, there's more! Professor urges math teachers to adopt social justice pedagogies. The struggle in pedagogical learning to teach critical math was penned by Professor Eric Gustine, who writes in a new textbook that the time is nigh for social justice. Racist and sexist billionaires in the White House. How does one shift context from ostensibly apolitical ones to those that are explicitly political, assuming one's mathematical teaching is contextual at all? Houston notes that he once taught a math for social justice class at the Social Justice High School in Chicago, arguing that teaching critical mathematics isn't an opinion for math teachers, but rather a responsibility for our future. We're in a historical period that challenges us to action in ways that we probably cannot fully understand. Teaching in critical way is not optional in the present juncture. We have a responsibility to our future and our planet, to life and all species. We do in the classroom matters for today and tomorrow and the myriad possibilities for resistance and transformation are inexorably and dialectically related to the intensity of the crisis we face. For example, how does one shift context from ostensibly a political one to those that are explicitly political, he asked. How does a teacher know what context to choose? How to teach about them in a way that brings community wisdom into experience? While Gustine did not immediately reply to inquiry, what critical mathematics refers to, he did co-author the book, Rethinking Mathematics, Teaching Social Justice by the Numbers, deepening their understanding of important social issues such as racism and sexism. So I guess you say, if there are four black people and one white person, who should you hate? Is that the math problem you're looking for? I mean, the white people, of course. Next one, course applies feminist methodologies to scientific research. Harvard University is offering a course next semester that will explore how to use feminist methodologies to reimagine the structure of scientific inquiry. According to a seminal paper on feminist research methodologies, scientific researchers inevitably reproduce dominant gender, race, and class biases. 
They do not account for how their own identities influence investigations. We'll explore how working scientists use gender analysis to shape research choices, frame hypotheses, and reimagine the stru- structure of scientific inquiry. How have feminism and gender theology theory influenced the practices of science? What are feminist methodologies? And how to shape research agendas? What the fuck? Professor claims Google search algorithms, wait for it, privileges whiteness. Yeah. USC professor claims that it discriminates against people of color. A Google search. You know, one time we played Milk is Racist. This one trumps it. Uh, what does it say? Let me break this shit down. According to Google, however, the algorithm's question has already been revised prior to the book's publication. The people who make these decisions hold all types of values, many of whom openly promote racism and sexism. Hmm. Data discrimination is a real problem, writes Noble. Bias sets of search algorithms that privilege whiteness or discriminates against people of color, specifically women of color. In her book, refers to this as technological redlining, algorithmic oppression. Woo! You gotta watch out for your algorithmic oppression that we just made up. While we often think in terms of just big data and algorithms as benign, neutral objective, they are anything but... The people who make them decisions hold all types of values that promote racism, sexism, and false notions of meritocracy. Google memo falsely claimed that Damore was arguing that women are psychologically inferior and capable of being good at software engineering as men to bolster her claim, nearly correct in outlining gender difference between men and women. Uh, the article goes on. What this anti-diversity screed has underscored for me is that some of the very people who are developing search algorithms and architecture promote racist attitudes openly at work. Hmm. Then Portland's famous feminist bookstore finally goes out of business, blames, wait for it, white men. Yeah, white men. It's their goddamn fault. White men made us go out of business. Okay. And then they're into the really, really crazy, you gotta be fucking kidding me, this is fucking real. Mixed race family asked ice cream company to change flavor name to make it more inclusive. Yes. A Louisiana mother of six children and foster mother to other children have mixed race family whose children thought that Blue Bell's ice cream should change the name of the popular chocolate and vanilla ice cream flavor, the Great Divide. To better together. Tracy Schmidtley, her husband, and her brood of six children were sitting down for an ice cream party at their Louisiana home. We always buy Bluebell, and this time we chose the flavor, the Great Divide, which has chocolate on one hand and vanilla on the other. The name reminded him of a time in history when our nation appeared to be irrevocably divided. He looked at the table and saw a mixture of both black and white people, not divided on one side or another, like in the ice cream. But gathered around the table. I can't do it anymore. This is just like, this is just like fucking handmade tale. Ice cream's racist. You fucking white people. Sweet Jesus. Then there's this. Plus size clothing and overweight models are normalizing fat people. Warns expert. Hmm. A while back we were talking about fatism. Now, fuck that. 
Fuck those fat people. Got it. France is facing a suit over no sex rule for blood donations by gay men, and it looks like they're gonna win. So, if you're in France, don't get a blood transfusion. There's a reason that's there. It's not gay bashing. It's called AIDS. Then for the super, super crazy, New York Times invites you to fight fake news by buying one of their t-shirts. Problem is, it costs 300 fucking dollars for a t-shirt that just says, basically, facts die in the dark. It's the same fucking thing. It's just like MSNBC and WAPO. It's all the same thing. Trump's bad. Trump sucks. Alexa for hospitality, hospitality, excuse me, lets Amazon follow you on vacation. This article says it's dangerous as fuck and it gives out your location. So does your Google Home leak your location to hackers. They're trying to patch it, but there's a problem with Google Home that people can get in and get your location. Wouldn't that be nice? Because you've wired it all to your fucking shit so they know that you're rich. Then the no-brainer of the no-brainers and I've been talking about this for two years on this podcast. World Health Organization, video games addictive like crack. They're seeing an entire family structure fall apart because everybody's jerking off on their Game Boy. Hmm. You sure? Then you got Europe, which, you know, we started the show with Germany getting people killed left and right because they're open borders. Well, goddammit, we're not going to let that shit go. Because I'm sure there's a shitload of memes over there about Merkel's shitty-ass policy that's about to lose her party the power. So what are they going to do about it? The EU is trying to put an end to memes. A new copyright law will result in a meme ban, according to critics. Coming to an American social media in the future. We'll be just like them. You won't be able to do a meme anymore. As as polarized memes have become under the Trump era, where they dox people on CNN. Yeah, this is coming. Woman poses next to a great white shark, gets fucked over it, because she was a biologist. Yeah. She was investigating it, and she took a selfie. Everybody lost it. She's probably going to lose her job, because she was doxed for it. Good God, she's a liberal. Report alleges sexual servitude in the South. That's what you thought, liberals, right? No, San Francisco-based orgasmic meditation company. And we're going to read this one, because what the fuck is that? Former employees of One Taste say the San Francisco-based wellness company Encourage them to spend thousands of dollars on orgasmic meditation classes and in some cases engaged in sexual servitude, according to a report in Bloomberg Business Interview. 16 former One Taste employees, some of whom have compared it to a kind of prostitution ring that sometimes used as teachings to justify sexual exploitation and abuse. Some said they were coerced into sexual acts they did not want to perform. The report says one taste settled out of court with a former employee who filed a lawsuit over alleged sexual assault and harassment in 2015. Michael, another employee, said she and her husband left the organization with a $20,000 in debt. Having spent $150,000 combined on one taste costly classes and retreats, which range in price from $199 to $16,000. Bucks. 
Multiple interviewees said staffers encouraged them to open additional credit cards to cover the cost. On its website, well, you're just fucking stupid. That's not their fault. That's your fault because you're an idiot. One Taste touts itself as a lifestyle brand intended to increase health, happiness, and connection through proven methods, combined meditation, and conscious sexuality. The orgasmic medication, meditation, medication, well, that's a blue pill, or OM, pronounced OM for short, OM is a trademark practice that typically involves a clothed and gloved man stroking the genitals of a woman who is naked from the waist down for 15 minutes. There is no goal other than to feel the sensation. A container on the site describes the organization as a consciousness-based clit-stroking community. I'm not reading anymore. Those weren't Christians. Those were liberals. Let's just let it sit and pause for a second. Hmm. And we'll move on. Venomous Caterpillar sends Florida teen to emergency room. This scared the living shit out of me. It just touched her. She had an allergic reaction. They didn't have a picture, so I'd be posting it right now because I'm... Fuck, I ate caterpillars. My kids would dare me. I'd do it. I one time did it really mean to my son. It hurt his feelings. And then there's this one, and our last one, before we go into a great soundbite on what is intersectionality from PragerU by Ben Shapiro. I had to do it at the end of all this shit because this is our life right now. Intersectionality, for Christ's sake. Out of control iguanas infesting South Florida. <laughs> they believe there is like 20,000 of these motherfuckers and 8% of the power outages or 9,200 a year are caused by iguanas. Yes, it's illegal to kill the iguanas. It's liberalism. So, as stated, here's Ben Shapiro. Let's talk about intersectionality. You probably think your opinions matter. You probably think you're an individual with unique experiences, thoughts, and ambitions. Well, I hate to break it to you, but according to current leftist orthodoxy, you're wrong. You see, your opinion only matters relative to your identity and where that identity ranks on the hierarchy of intersectionality. If you're now thinking, what the hell are you talking about? You haven't spent much time on a modern college campus. Intersectionality is a form of identity politics in which the value of your opinion depends on how many victim groups you belong to. At the bottom of the totem pole is the person everybody loves to hate, the straight white male. And who's at the top? Well, it's very hard to say because new groups claim victim status all the time. No one can keep track. So, how does this intersectionality thing play out? Something like this. Let's say you're a gay white woman. Your opinion matters, but less than that of a gay black woman. Why? Because while all women are oppressed by the patriarchy and all gays are oppressed by the heterosexual majority, blacks have a victim status that whites obviously don't. Of course, a gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman, and so on. The more memberships you can claim in oppressed groups, the more aggrieved you are and the higher you rank. Get it? Good, because it's about to get even more complicated. Intersectionality takes your victim status and uses it as the basis for creating alliances with other victim groups. 30 or 40 years ago, activists encouraged racial solidarity among blacks to combat oppression. But today, that's not enough. Today's activists demand blacks make common cause with other allegedly oppressed people, gays, lesbians, transgenders, Palestinians, Native Americans, whomever. Here's the logic. 
A black gay and a Hispanic gay may not belong to the same victim group racially, but they do belong to the same victim group on the basis of their sexuality. By focusing on the places where various victim identities intersect, intersectionality creates a united us-versus-them paradigm. Righteous victims rising up together to fight the oppressor, those dreaded straight white men. This explains why at a rally protesting the treatment of Palestinians by Israel, you might see a contingent of lesbian activists. That's intersectionality at work. They're so united by their victim status that it doesn't matter if Islamists throw gays off of buildings or murder female family members who defy their father's wishes. Victim solidarity trumps all other considerations. The term intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, a professor of law at Columbia University. She explains that intersectionality was my attempt to make feminism, anti-racist activism, and anti-discrimination law do what I thought they should, highlight the multiple avenues through which racial and gender oppression were experienced. To Crenshaw, America is a terrible place full of victim groups, each with their particular set of grievances. Why shouldn't these victim groups get together and form a political coalition unified by the belief that the majority society has harmed them? That some professor tucked away in an ivory tower would come up with this nonsense is not surprising. What is surprising and disturbing is that so many people actually go along with it. America is the most open, least racist nation on the planet. That Professor Crenshaw is free to spin her nonsensical theories and get paid well for it should offer adequate proof of that. And since when do you have to live someone's experience in order to understand them? You don't have to live as a slave in order to understand that slavery is cruel and wrong. You don't have to live as a woman in order to recognize the evil of rape. Finally, and most important, intersectionality promotes the biggest hoax of all, that we aren't individuals who are to be judged on the basis of how we act, but are merely members of groups to be judged on the basis of our group identity. In other words, you and I as individuals with our unique experiences, thoughts, and ambitions count for nothing. Our racial and sexual identity count for everything. It's hard to imagine an idea less likely to produce a free and equal America than that. But what do I know? I'm just a straight white male. I'm Ben Shapiro for Prager University. There's a reason PragerU videos have hundreds of millions of views. They're informative, the people who are talking are always interesting, except for me, all the animation is fantastic, and most of all, you can send it around to all your friends, and they actually know more than they did before you sent it. You should definitely consider giving some money to PragerU. Straight up Gilead, that's what that is, straight up Gilead. So for our light affair today, just to poke at the media bubble, which I enjoy doing, this is Mika and Joe on Morning Joe or morning resistance. And I guess he tried to grab her hand. All I know is I laughed. Mr. President, yeah. thank you indeed. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Joe. Joe's back. He's <laughs> <laughs> here. I mean, He's here. I do parables. <laughs> it's great to have you back. Was he walking with it? We did lots of fighting over issues, uh, so it should be a good show today. No, we did not. Oh, yeah, we, we did. Never fight. Uh-huh. No, don't, don't do that. Okay, not on the air. Not on the air. What are you doing? It's 6.03. Well, we can ask you a question. Uh-oh. I don't know. We're engaged. <laughs> We're engaged. I mean, we've been engaged now for like 13 no. years. Can I, do you think I should be able to hold her hand at this point in the engagement with her consent? If you'll be quiet, I'll hold your hand. I don't even know what that means. Uh, so I could do the news. Well, why don't you just do that? <laughs> this show is up to an interesting style. By the way, Sam. Oh, no. Only on MSNBC could that actually happen. You'd have a married couple doing a show, and you think it's news. That happened on Fox. Sweet fucking God. 
So to end on a positive with a really bad, as you could tell, this was a hard podcast for me to do. I, I cannot believe how fucked up we are. We're just so fucked up. Kids are in our street all the time. Nobody gives a fuck. Military families, families don't see their families forever. We've lost how many thousands of men? Nobody even does a segment on poor kid that their dad got killed in the war of terror. Nobody gives a fuck about that. And if you hate soldiers, Chicago. Don't do reports on that. Nobody fucking cares. Black men are getting killed every day up there. 600 murders a fucking year. Nobody gives a shit. So I got to end on positive. Illinois County declares itself, wait for it, sanctuary for unborn human beings. Though Illinois, no thanks to former President Obama, has become one of the most leftward states of the union, at least one county in the state is sticking up for the truth by declaring itself sanctuary for unborn human beings. In a time when cities are violating federal laws by declaring themselves sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants, Effington County hopes they can stand against a tide by protecting the unborn from a moral scourge of abortion, an evil the Democrats refuse to confront, even as they posture about families being separated at the southern border. Speaking for a large crowd on Monday, the county board announced they approved the pro-law life law with a solid majority. Abortion in the United States becomes a means of birth control, which the unborn are killed for the convenience of the parent, the resolution reads. The document condemns abortion in all instances except when the mother's life is at risk. Ardent pro-lifers would say such a stance is a strong step forward, but does not go far enough. Here's LifeSite's guide on the why pro-lifers should seek to ban all abortions. James Neiman, the board chairman, says the measure will serve as a guide for the country regarding abortions in the future. Ordinance affect the public at large. Resolutions affect the operation of the board of the county in general. So this is something that we would affect the way the county looks at the question that would come forward in the future. In Illinois, we have contradictory laws, he continued. If you kill a pregnant woman, that's two murders. However, if she has an abortion, it isn't. It doesn't make sense. Never has made sense if you really break it down. And I close with that because that's the point of all of this. They don't even cover the 330,000 abortions, the 776,000 morning after pills that Planned Parenthood does. There's no stories about all the women that are suicidal because they had the abortion, the mental health issues on the backside of it. They, they don't even cover this. But they'll scream down to the border, put up false pictures, take stories from 2014 and pretend they're 2018, bash Trump over the separation of illegal immigrants who illegally came in the country. 10,000 out of the 12,000 of these kids were forced to go by their parents with coyotes unaccompanied because of Obama's DACA policy that the left won't fix through immigration policy because their policy is we're going to let anybody do whatever the fuck they want. You can't arrest parents 100 miles to the border. Even if they did fucking terrorism. Because we just want the votes. That's okay. But our media never talks about the abortion. They don't even cover pro-life events. They rush to the aid of Planned Parenthood whenever they might not get their $550 million that they don't need. That they do use to end the life of children against the Hyde Act through Plan B pills. None of that's important. Which makes, as usual, the left's argument mute. It's a mute argument. It's bullshit. Utter bullshit.
You don't give a fuck about kids. You kill kids every day under a colloquialism, woman's right to choose. It's pathetic. So when you stand up, Brooke Baldwin, when you stand up, Brian Seltzer, fucking piece of shit, Chuck Todd, Chris Cuomo, and start talking about the obliteration of millions of kids through razor blades under your faux, we want women to vote for us, vote pandering, I will believe that the border crisis is a crisis. I believe that. But I read the paper in 2014 and realized there were tens of thousands of kids. 80,000 kids came to the border. And by minuscule reporting, 25,000 of them at one time were stuck in horrid conditions that you gave them tinfoil emergency blankets to stay warm. You thought that was okay. You had no problems with it. And now I'm supposed to get upset because 10,000 kids are in better conditions. I'm not. Because in the scheme of things, as stated numerous times, we have a whole bunch of problems with kids in our country. You don't give a fuck. Kids are taken away from their parents all the time when they go to jail. Soldiers die. They deploy. You don't even care. You lie, you deceit, you stretch the truth. And then when caught, you say it doesn't matter. It sums it up. Our iconic photos that are all lies sum up what's really happening at the border. Because we don't want to talk about the IG report that the President of the United States fucking lied and knew about her email. And then the FBI lied and didn't do an investigation. And then the FBI altered forms so nobody could go to jail. And we're just supposed to say, okey fucking dokey. And that's what this podcast is all about. April 19th, 29th, 9th or 9th, 29th? Doesn't matter. April, this policy started. They didn't care until the IG report came out. I am a firm believer in my heart of heart the Democratic Party is the most heinously lying organization we've ever had in our country. And if you vote for them, as you say to us, you're for fascism. You're for Gilead. Because that's what they are. Their religion is not God. Their religion is progressivism. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by sending an email to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. FOPPODCAST gmail.com. You get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at FOPPODCAST.com. FOP podcast.com. There you see links to the feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. You also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog, which I'm going to blog about this today or tomorrow because I'm still angry. 
and I need to vent. I don't have a scream pillow like Barry on the Goldbergs. I will blog about it. Our next show will be um, Monday and Tuesday. I'm busy as shit. So let's shoot for the 28th. Our next show will be the 28th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And until then, enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family. Disconnect from all your electronic devices. Share some quality time. And tune back in on the 28th for another exciting flyover politic podcast where I scream in the mic about the stupid, stupid shit that is going on in this lost country. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah.